Welcome back, you weirdos, Krakoans, and all you phalanx-infected assassins out there. Welcome once again to your weekly Weird Dose of X. My name is Jason, and back with me once again is our good friend Chris. Chris, how are you today? Hey, hey, it's uh, it's hot, hot, hot here. It's like uh, there's a fire going on. We're burning the place down <laughs> this week. No, no giant like, scent. Celestial Poindexter singing "Hot, Hot, Hot." It's true. It's true. It's uh, we we don't have giant uh, killer. What are what are those things that rose out of the waters last week? Oh, killer. the hex. Yeah, the hexes. We don't have those. We have other things. We have other weird shaped things, and uh, well, we have stories leading to weird shaped things. That's right. Uh, because somehow this week we have no new axe-related books. No which... young animal this week. <laughs> so according to my spreadsheet, this is the only week up through, I don't know, a long time from now, like the middle of October, October? when we don't have yeah. at least one of these books. And usually two or three, sometimes even more. Card but, subject to change. I mean, I keep waiting for these books to shift around with the delays, but they're the only ones remaining rock solid. I, I yeah. wonder if that's going to hold up. But I guess the, uh, the 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 supply chain shortages just didn't affect Krakoa. <laughs> huh. Must be those magic plants they can just Gotta make be. comic books. Be. Wouldn't that be a great well, plant? You just you just plant it and a comic book pops up and you publish yeah, it. I, I think the X books they got on the DC and Image plan where they're not missing any weeks. <laughs> I don't know why the rest of Marvel is, but uh, what are you going to do? do? Well, so today we figured we're going to do something a little different, kind of mm-hmm. go back to the past and take a look at a very important. Kind of confusing character in this whole era of X, in this whole uh, X saga as well, Dr. Mm-hmm. Moira McTaggart, sometimes known as the April O'Neil of the X-Men. Mm-hmm. And to do yellow that, we're going to- no. Well, that's Sage. Sage has the yellow raincoat, not a, not Moira. But a... <laughs> they, probably, they probably share wardrobes once they, in a while. They probably are a similar size. So to do this, we're going to revisit two semi-recent, semi-seminal miniseries featuring her- Inferno, that's the second one, by the then outgoing head of X, Jonathan Hickman, and that leads right into X Deaths of Wolverine by still very current writer, Ben Percy. So mm-hmm. that is our plan for today. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll probably mention X Lives, but it's not really important to the story. It just, we'll, we'll tell you that it happened and uh, why certain characters were not in other places when they could have yeah. been because of time hopping. And today, sliding. I'm really hoping that by the end of this, I, and you know, maybe some of you too, why not, understand Moira's intentions and motivations a little better because Good luck. they kind of twisted and turned, and I'm sure we'll discuss whether there was a real plan for her all along, if Hickman's plans changed, if the post-Hickman plans were different from his, we'll try to figure it out. But we're mm. going into Inferno number one, which opens with the egg resurrection of Charles Xavier and Magneto with uh, mm-hmm. Emma herself in the helmet, and no, none of the five around at this point. And no, this is no. kind of the first mystery of Inferno, where we're trying to wonder, okay, what what awful thing happened yeah. that these two powerhouses have to, have to be brought back? Certainly. And this is almost certainly a callback to the opening pages of House of X number one, where you have Xavier in the Emma role, you know, welcoming back mm-hmm. characters we, we kind of recognize, but at the same time, we weren't 100% sure who they were. Yeah, but, uh, and here, we've, seen call, we've seen callbacks to that a few times now. They like yeah. to do it. It's, you know, one of the truly iconic scenes of this era. Sure, and, you sure. know, Hickman, you know, he wants to do it one more time before he's done. Who can blame him? Yeah, and I mean, and then you get another opportunity to say, to me, my X-Men, which play is the hits. evergreen, right. isn't it? Yeah. Play the hits. Now we head off to the Orcus Forge, where we see 
It looks like we're seeing one more raid by X-Force trying to bring down the Forge. Mm-hmm. It turns out we're actually watching some after-action report play-by-play that Orcus is watching. Yeah. And we get this, I think, again, this is one of those scenes that makes a lot more sense now that I've read the whole thing, where we see, who is this director guy again? What's his name? Devo? Yeah, Director Devo. Uh, he has these crazy glasses on, looks like Elton John glasses. He's got a cross mm-hmm. between Devo and Elton John, which is- There you go. I, I listened to that team up <laughs> and we, you know, some just discussion of they keep getting attacked by mostly the same people. They have a, a full collection, you know, uh, sealed and slabbed of uh, Wolverine skeletons. I'm sure those are pretty, they do. pretty expensive on the, uh, the fan market. <laughs> and they're trying to figure out, you know, what exactly is going on and why they do they seem to be making the people. same mistakes <laughs> over and over again? Yep. They don't seem to be really learning much about what's going on. And there's also and they, an indication that, uh, that, we have these same characters coming back. Like, how do we have a skeleton of this guy? And he keeps coming back. What's, what's <laughs> right, going so on here? This is before the public acknowledgement about mutant resurrection. Yes. But clearly Orcus knows They're, something. They got, a, they got a, a bead on it for sure. And Devo mentions of himself that he's, temp- I'm not sure how to say this, temporarily, temporally challenged. And he something doesn't like always understand the order in which events happen, which... Seems like a bit of a handicap for a person in charge of a giant, possibly evil organization. But not for a Marvel editor. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Well, maybe he's looking to pick up a little side gig. (laughs) Hey, he's got all the qualifications. Maybe too many. He's overqualified. Yep. So we also see there Aaliyah Greger, who was the creator of Nimrod and and Widow. We saw what happened to her husband in House of X. And we see our Omega Sentinel, Karima... What's her? Sharpander or something like that? Sharpander, yeah. Or or What's-Her-Face, as I like to call it. Mm -hmm. Now, we finally get to actually see Moira. Mm -hmm. We see her in a lab, toasting with some other scientists, because they've got lab coats on. That's how you know they're scientists. Mm -hmm. And then it all blows up, and we see, oh, we're back in her third life. And we see a mostly replay, with a few changes of words, of when uh, Mystique and Destiny come in and say, yeah, we know what you're up to, and you can't, you know, you're trying to make this cure for mutant dumb, and yeah, we're not going to do that. But we also know that when we kill you, you're going to just restart the world. But for some reason, they're okay with that, which is not usually how that goes. But they yeah. say, next time you're going to remember what you did, and you better not do it again, or we're going to come and get you again. And then they have Pyro burn her to death. So what um, What do you think of this? I guess I haven't really thought about this. Well, why do they not just burn all her stuff down, take her captive, and try to keep the world going that they're in? You know, I'm... I'm- Maybe de- we know something about destiny here is that uh, she can, of course, see what's going to happen to an extent where she seems to question herself a lot more. Now that we get to know her, mm-hmm. <laughs> she seems to not be all in on her predictions. Back in the day before when she was, you know, a villain who would show up every once in a while or just like be the kind of the more quiet half of destiny and mystique. I think we took it a lot more rock solid as, OK, this person knows everything that's about to happen knows every sort of uh, okay. iteration of the future, where now I think we're starting to see her her powers as being as flawed as they would be in the real world, you know, or in a realer world. And maybe she's just playing things out. Maybe she's testing it. Um, or maybe she sees that this world, like the, the cat's already out of the bag, the genie's out of yeah, the bottle. That's also that Even though they the burn down out. the lab. Right. The cure is, it does exist. And also, I mean, to burn someone to death, 
that's something that's going to, you know, if you can remember being burnt to death, it, it's quite a uh, incentive not to repeat some of the same mistakes. Yeah, she's kind of doing here what uh, Mr. Sinister does in Immortal X-Men some months later where, oh, okay, this one doesn't work. I'm just going to yeah. kill off this Moira and try again next Start time. again. Yeah. yeah. Now, one of the things about this here is um, they changed some of the dialogue you mentioned, but uh, Destiny refers to Moira as Dr. McTaggart, which she wasn't. Huh. She wasn't, she was, she was Kinross. She wasn't a oh, McTaggart right. in this life, which, uh, I mean, we, we maybe, uh, Dr. Devo was, uh, editing this page. I don't know. Hmm. I guess in most of the current books, when she does get mentioned, she's just Moira or sometimes Moira X, right? Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Usually just Moira. So, I mean, if in life 10, she is Dr. McTaggart, so they can call her whatever the hell they want. Oh, okay. okay. But this is life three. And, and she uh, didn't marry her. McTaggart. She, yeah. Week. She didn't marry McTaggart until it was. Uh, advantageous for her to do so in life 10 to uh, create Proteus. Oh, well. What do you end up Yeah. What do you I, I, I can see how that mistake would be made, but yeah, it is, it, uh, it is a mistake. Yeah. And that's what happens when editors don't know that X-Men existed before 2019. <laughs> well, here's the problem. So we jump from the end of her third life and we're told very specifically we're now, like currently now in the story and in Moira's 10th life in real, and we're yeah. outside her lab in, I guess the same lab, right? I, you know, I don't know. Is it supposed to be Muir Island? It's drawn like the panel from the third life kind of goes right into the into panel of the tenth world. life. So like it's yeah. it's like when you see those pictures on the internet of somebody holding up an old, you know, rock and roll album or yeah. photograph in front of the current location. It looks like it's matched up edge to edge. So I'm pretty yeah. sure this is supposed to be the same location. And she's holding a notebook and we're shown the notebook has... The names of all those scientists she worked with, at least back in Life 3, mm -hmm. is labeled Project, Project Cure, Cure, and it's yeah. all tattered and beat up and possibly singed, mm -hmm. and I cannot for the life of me figure out Where'd where, she where this notebook <laughs> came from, because exactly. you can't bring stuff, you can't take it with you, is what I've always heard, and That's what like, she heard. brings her memories from one life to another, Yeah, but I don't, but a physical I, this item. should not exist. That's like weird. she didn't, she didn't do this same thing again in Life Ten, did she? Not that we know of. I mean, she of course was a researcher. She has been working on different things. Uh, we can assume that she worked on the Legacy Virus Cure. We we can assume a lot of things about what she did. But I mean, and this is something we'll probably talk about in a little bit here. But you know, there was a very very seminal scene in this uh, in this era where she and Professor X kind of opened their minds to one another. Right? You'd right. figure. Another scene we've out. seen several times. Yeah, yeah exactly. In, in different iterations of it as well. But uh, you'd figure this would come out. Like Xavier would like maybe know. So here's here's my best theory, mm -hmm. and it's not a great one, is that, yes, we see her holding what looks like a notebook in that panel. Yeah. And then we see a panel of an open notebook. I'm going to say that she is just remembering just her notebook from her down. third life. And okay, that's so this. That was... Right. We never actually see that notebook in context in the 10th life. We see just a close-up of that, and maybe we're supposed to be, you know, wavy lines, oh, this is what she's thinking of. This is, yeah, could be, I, could be. It's not drawn like that, but we never see this notebook again. No. So it doesn't come up as a, as a big artifact going forward. So I'm just going to say she was just thinking about it and, and try to stop worrying about and, it myself. And I think, you know, this is completely out my ass here, but uh, I feel That's like parts of this is true. It's true. Uh, a lot of this story feels like we're taking bits and pieces of, and this is again just me postulating here that there was original plan, there were original plans in place that that Hickman had for for Moira, for Moira, however we say that word, um, and for the entire era. But of mm -hmm. course, plans changed, 
And as we're going to get to with some of the actual dialogue here in just a bit, certain elements of what I believe that original plan was seem to make their way into Inferno. While they okay. were and they were kind of mixed with this new take, this new shifting, this this more uh, serialized continuation into the next step, where I think this was supposed to go one way, and I really think that I have my own theories about the cure. Um, I have theories. I have multiple theories about what it's this cure was. It's a good band. I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah Friday yeah. there in love. Um, so my my darker days in high school. You know, they got me through some stuff. Really? Yeah, I mean, I, I went through so many cans of hairspray. Ridiculous. <laughs> but um, like the cure here, uh, one of the things I, I always uh, theorized was that um, Mora was was working away at this cure constantly. But as the, with the revelation that Mora is a mutant and that she's trying to like protect future generations of mutantdom and bring them all together as a per- as one right. one that- people. That's our understanding, at least at at the end at, of Hawks as of Pox. this point. Yes, right, absolutely. Because we didn't really see her barely at she all vanished. between the end of Hawks Pox and the beginning of Inferno. Right, she was For like sure. in one or two panels, just kind of reminding us she exists. But in basically, you know, literally hundreds of issues between then and now, she and was nothing, nothing off the board. So as far as we knew, she was a mutant on Team Mutant trying to save the mutants. Exactly. So I, what I was uh, theorizing was that. She was always working on this cure in the background only in order to cure herself. I thought she mm-hmm. wanted to cure herself just to protect mutants going forward. So if if she's no longer a mutant and she dies, the timeline doesn't reset. So it's kind of funny herself, that we never saw her and, you know, Professor X and Magneto talking about that end game. Exactly. Right? Because clearly they've got to be thinking about that. If she, she's a time bomb, right? Yeah. She's a bomb. I mean, we want to keep her safe. Where they, we talk about she's the most important person in the world, but mm-hmm. you know, everybody's gonna you know cross that bridge at some point. Exactly. And so, and again, we know to, you know to jump ahead to the uh, the Chekhov's gun here is that Forge, you know, way back when made a gun that makes a mutant not a mutant no more, not a mutant. And mm-hmm. everybody knows that. That's a thing that comes up. You know, we talk about when it happened to uh, Storm. To Storm, mm-hmm. major plot point. You know, a major X Men history moment. Absolutely. And to have it not even mentioned until you know soon weird. is kind of conspicuous. It's very very weird. So it's like that was my thought going in when I first read Inferno number one. I'm like, okay, well, this is definitely where we're going. We're taking Mora off the board here. We're going to make her not a mutant. Because she knows that this is the successful life. This is the timeline that right. needs to continue because yeah. everything worked. It's almost like we should have had conversations like, okay, we can do that, but we're not sure we're there yet. Exactly. So we don't wanna we don't wanna lock it in until you know exactly. it's not until locking it as sure. our final answer until yeah. <laughs> absolutely sure. But it should have been absolutely. mentioned. And that that was that was where I was here. And it turns out that wasn't the case. Um uh, and I mean, we we can also talk about um, the mutant magic meds here as being the end game. In that uh, we're gonna we're gonna actually talk a little bit about uh, cancers pretty soon because it's gonna come up in dialogue. I think three or four times, just like just like passing references to to, to and nods. Yeah, to cancer, and that right? and that last scene in uh, Life Three, Destiny mm-hmm. calls you know uses the term what the cancer of doubt hiding in her mind. The idea there that. Even in the future, even if you do decide, like we're telling you to do, don't do this cure thing, that idea will always, always be in your mind, exactly. always be kind of haunting you. So that's another thing that, and I've read some theories on this because the mutant magic meds are lettered, was it L, M, and N or something like that? Or L, it's, they're different letters, okay. which are actually uh, 
cancer proteins, proteins and cancers. Hmm. And more distributing these or having them distributed to the entire free world, well, maybe that's uh, taking out a gene. Maybe that's uh, sterilizing mutants. Maybe that's take, it's taking out the quote-unquote mutant cancer. But that doesn't really jive with everything else. <laughs> no, we, we find out some other things. So we find out that those mutant meds were really designed or set up by Beast, who, yeah. you know, he's just all about basically, you know, keeping Krakoa safe. He doesn't care about curing anybody. Oh, he's yeah, certainly he's, not about to send, you know, mutant cure out into the world. Certainly not. Certainly not. But it's it's very strange here because, I mean, we're, we're going to get there, but it, yeah, I'll just save it until we get there. We'll just keep okay. going. We'll keep going. Yeah, so the jump Let's bring more to culture into yeah, this. To, we we see this that up. Moira has a little house of her own there in Paris because who wants to stay stay all, you know, stopped up in a, a no place 24-7. You got to get exactly. out and stretch your legs a little bit. And, uh, her going back and forth does set off a little bit of an alarm with Orcus, who's keeping an eye on things, and they get kind of confused because it turns out there's two two gateways in the same building on different floors, and they never thought about thinking third dimensionally, so they have to call in horticulture to say, "Hey, duh, you can you can go up in the Z dimension," and and that works too, and that lets that sets off a big alarm that oh something's going on here in Paris, we better better keep an eye on things. True. And we get this weird little panel of uh, X-Force agent Tommy with the, the long rainbowy hair. Mm-hmm. And I've seen her in an old issue. Where did, where did she first come up? Did she, was she had like a, a boyfriend who was also like they were a pair together? Um, Tommy, I'm trying to remember. Tommy's a Morlock. Uh, I'm looking at my old script here and I said, uh, we, sh- we shift scenes to Sage who's being briefed by Tommy, a Morlock of very little importance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of somebody who came up in the original X Factor book, but maybe it was oh, somebody that was, else. Uh, no, that was oh crap, who was that? That was Omerta and God, what the hell was that girl's name? The one who had the baby, right? Maybe it doesn't matter. It's just she's just kind of. Oh this, no, I'm thinking of Cable. Uh, I'm thinking of Cable. I'm sorry. Yeah. So Tommy here is just some random X Men character who. So we've got Orcus on alert, and now the X Men on alert. That the Orcus are on alert, so everybody's everybody's on meta alert here. Mm-hmm. It's true. So now we go and we're back to back to Moira, and we see a meeting between her and uh, the two dudes in on the conspiracy in her no place, mm-hmm. and uh, they're having this little chat here. So what are they talking about? Here? It's a little snippy, a little contentious. Um, yeah, we like we have Moira here is we haven't seen her right. She's she disappeared after Hawksbox. She's back now, but she's always been there. And it's odd here. One of the things she's complaining about is that nobody ever listens to her. And she complains that she's being kept hidden away, which is like, wasn't that the plan the whole time? Yeah, like, I mean, I can understand getting kind of cranky about it, even if it is your own plan. But and I mean, I'm not, uh, it's not exactly clear what what she wants done that's not being done. I guess she wants destiny completely erased. That is, is really the only thing that hasn't been done. Yeah. yeah, which which should, I mean, we go back to life three. Destiny should have never been never been part of this ever. Destiny should have been erased immediately. There's no reason outside of you know this story happening that uh, Destiny would ever be kept. There should not have ever been a Destiny backup kept. My only no prize attempt at that is that people would notice if you erased her. Who? There are millions and millions. The five sage is probably you know she's you know all. Computer head, and she would probably notice. That's that's my only guess. And, and plus, once uh, Trial of Magneto is over, it doesn't matter anymore because well, yeah, we don't we don't need the backups. Yeah, 
or, or I mean, or you have, I mean, we, we already know from the Trial of Magneto that we have ancient Scarlet Witch backups. Why not throw an ancient Destiny backup in there? You know, something that where she doesn't know things or, or actually, what would she know of other lives? Um, I don't know. It's weird, but it just seems very, very convenient that they didn't mm-hmm. take her off the board here. Yeah, what we're really seeing the five here... know. The five know. We know from Hope joining the Quiet Council uh, that, or we actually know from Legion of X number one that there was a ban on precogs because Blindfold said there was a precog ban and it's been lifted. That's another thing that's been a little bit shifty between books, between writers, whether there was an official, you know, black letter ban on precogs, or if every precog just happens to get kicked to the back of the queue every time. Are you trying to suggest that these books aren't on the same page? Uh, I think there may be maybe some editorial (laughs) inconsistencies. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) No. (laughs) But the point here is that there's some dissension between these three big players and what she really wants is, you know, to get more control of the Quiet Council and to get Destiny erased. Mm-hmm. And now we get this really cool scene that, again, makes so much more sense, you know, looking back from now it is. the future. Yeah. And we see what looks like – it looks like they're carrying out Moira's request. Yes. Because that's how it, it flows in the book. She makes this request, and then we see Magneto, somebody looks like Magneto – goes off to Island, Island M and picks up a backup cradle, which would be one way you could go about, you know, erasing someone's mm-hmm. backup. And then we see Charles Xavier. We don't hear any dialogue here, but we see no. him go to He's Mr. Sinister, Sinister. Yeah. and get something from Mr. Sinister. And we see Mr. Sinister being highly amused at what's going oh, on. Oh, he loves it. He loves which it. Which is always good. And he gets and, uh, these vials of DNA that are labeled SN3 in Gracoan. I don't know what it means. But it, it, it is in Krakoan, S-N-3. Don't I did not take the time to translate that, so I will I will take that under advisement. I don't know what that means either, but <laughs> yep. that's what it says. Yeah, and then we kind of complete the scene in the no place. Yeah. So what we know now, of course, is that Magneto and Charles Xavier there were really both mystique. She's putting in place her backup plan. If they're not going to resurrect Destiny on the up and up, She'll She's do behind their back. Herself. So she goes and gets the, the, the best Cerebro backup, and she goes and gets the DNA. So she's collecting the pieces she's going to need to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And from here, we have a, we go to an info page, and it's totally different. It, it, it's it's uh, Cecilia Reyes writing a medical report about Black Tom Cassidy. I don't know if this was just maybe peppered in there for- Well, this I never understood until this, until this reread, and I think I know what it's there for. Does it now. tie into X-Deaths? Or? Well, what it is, is that we hear that Black Tom is physically doing fantastic. His mutant powers are going gangbusters. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. However, he's got some psychological quirks, not just the normal yeah. Black Tom's kind of weird quirks. It says that he's suffering from an increasing number of debilitating psychoses, recurring dreams of his body being consumed by the island. Mm-hmm. Uh, hallucinations of machinery moving under his skin, mm-hmm. and instead of wanting to reject those feelings, he kind of he kind of likes them. It seems, which yeah, again, he's them. kind of a weirdo. Yeah. So, if you're reading this in real time, this makes no sense at all. Like it's, we don't, we yeah, haven't seen really Black Tom. Yeah. We have nothing. But a couple issues from now, we're going to see that Doug, way back when, had a plan going on That's and right. has integrated Warlock into the island at a very, very deep level. So that's what we're being foreshadowed here, 
again, it's, is it is it foreshadowing if it only makes sense months later? But anyway, that's I think that's what's going on here is that this is letting I think is it somebody said, hey, wouldn't Black Tom have noticed this? Black Tom is so deeply enmeshed psychologically, yeah. psychically with the island that if it had, you know, a, a techno organic phalanx, whatever we call warlock is, you know, sure. in there, he would have picked up on it. And I think, I think this is just saying, well, this is yeah, he kind of yeah. knew. And he's cool. It was affecting him. Yeah, and he's cool with it. Right. He, he's cool with it, and he's not about to hunt it down, whether that's Warlock himself doing something to placate him and hide himself. But that's what's going on. Because then the next scene we get is another non-sequitur kind of scene, mm-hmm. which is just Doug and Warlock and you know his wife, Bay the Blood Moon, just kind of hanging out, being happy. And, and again, cool it means- we, we get the name of Doug's home here, and it's Rosetta. I think that's pretty neat. Does that have a connection to anything, or just a? I'm guessing neat? the Rosetta Stone, the translation. Oh, sure, stone. of course. I'm guessing Naturally. that's got to be what it is. Naturally, yeah. or or the uh, subscription app, who is not sponsoring us today, but hey, give us a call. There you go. We Again, it doesn't sale. really make any sense in this first issue as a story, but then having that be right after our data page on Black Tom is, I think, planting the seeds yeah. to make sense afterwards. For sure. For sure. Okay, so now we go to the Quiet Council, and we just get a little bit of a little shuffling the deck, just a little bit of you know Cyclops. I think this is two purposes. It's it's uh, Hickman playing nice and making some important things happen in this book that are going to need to happen for the rest of the line, and also having an opening to make this concept of oh we're we're changing things now. It's a good time to start changing things on the council. Yeah, because, I mean, we've had these empty seats on the council forever. I mean, we're going to get some weird time time things here uh, as we work our way through where it's like this was either years or weeks. We don't know. But um, in our time, these seats, you know, Gene's seat and uh, Apocalypse's seats have been empty for a long, long time. So it seems weird that all of a sudden it's like, hey, we need to fill these seats immediately. So I think this scene does a pretty good job of... Kind of just like you said, like okay, it's time for uh, it's time for some changes. It's time for some. Yeah. We know Charles and Magneto holes. want to sell the idea of hey, let's let's change things up. So to have somebody else bring up the idea of change is very convenient for them. It is very convenient. So they're going to make use of that. And a little bit later, we see another mm-hmm. quiet council meeting where they say, hey, we've got some open seats. We should fill them. And Mystique speaks up and says, you know what? That's a damn good idea. And in fact, <laughs> I like the way your mind. I works. have a nominee. And that's when she brings out the living, breathing, secretly resurrected, but we haven't seen it yet, Miss Destiny herself. Mm-hmm. And that is the end of Inferno number one, which at the time, that was a really big shoe drop because big time. we had heard all this idea of, you know, bring me, you know, Destiny telling Mystique, bring me back. They're not going to want you to bring me back, but bring me back anyway. And if you can't bring me back, burn it all down. Mm-hmm. And naturally, that's what we thought Inferno was going to be about. At least that's what I thought it was going to be about. It was going to be about Mystique saying, oh, they won't bring her back. Plan B, burn it down. I think that, and like I said, I think that was the original plan. I, I think this was supposed to, the way this was originally written, or originally planned anyway, I think this was going to go a different direction. And I think a lot of that had to do with uh, with Mystique kind of pulling a fast one and revealing things to the world about Krakoa to... Really, just uh, hurt Krakoa's reputation among humanity and the people of Earth, and uh, well, I didn't quite go down that way. Which 
I mean, it, it, yep. The, I guess it the is, other possibility is that the title was always a red herring and misdirect to make well, us think also, that was going to happen so they could swerve. And they always, I mean, Hickman especially has this fetish about using, reusing titles from the past, whether or not they make any sense to do so. Uh, we've had Inferno. I mean, even right now in like Marauders, the, the first, the first arc is called Extinction Agenda. It has absolutely nothing to do with the first Extinction Agenda. Uh, we had the Trial of Magneto, which was another callback. I mean, Hickman himself did Secret Wars 30 I mean, years after. That has started. been going on Marvel wide over in oh, Avengers. Yeah. They're reusing names. It's, so it's not it's just really Hickman. Somebody high up in Marvel thinks that we'll sell an, an extra 10,000 copies if we just use a name <laughs> people like. Yep. And okay. they'll, they'll all be variant covers. Why not? Anything else to add before we jump into issue number two? Uh, the first time I read this here, one of my big questions was, uh, when is this story happening? Because sure. it, the, it was being they, published at the same time as Trial of Magneto. And, and so many other books. Like, the books didn't stop for this. The books stopped with <laughs> X Deaths and X Lives. You know, I think we only got like two or three interloping books between them. But uh, here, it's like everything was still coming out. And we open with um, Xavier and Magneto coming out of the eggs. And like a couple of weeks before this, Xavier was killed in Way of X. So it's like, is the, is this that? Is this Onslaught killing him or is this something else? And right, of course, that, I mean, is, it, that was what I thought when I read the first Inferno. Was, oh, we just saw him die in like a restaurant got blown up yeah, in, in, in the Green Way Lagoon, of X. Yeah. Oh, this is just, I guess he he's died back. there. That's where he's coming up. But but no, it's, it's no, a different thing. It's just another... Another sort of, I mean, how many times is Xavier, he's, he's died like three or four times. It's, mm -hmm. it's ridiculous. I don't think we even got on that first page, the near future or a few weeks from now or anything. No, any it was just open. Time just open right. Yeah, just, just open like normal. See and, this scene happen. And it also, uh, it spoiled things. You know, we see Quinan here taking a role as a cap, as a captain, but she, her life was in peril in, in Hellions. So now we know she survived that, or at the very least, she was re she was resurrected after it. The trial of Magneto is coming out. Magneto's in this book, so clearly he isn't sent to the hole. So it's like, <laughs> I, I mean, guess trial of Magneto had to happen after this, right? Do you think? Well, it happened right after the Hellfire Gala, right? Oh. It happened because Scarlet Witch was killed at the Hellfire Gala. Okay, Everything right. assembled in the days after oh. that. But then so, this whole plan kind of assumes that we can erase a backup. Mm -hmm. Which shouldn't happen after Trial of Magneto. So nope. they're, they're somehow they're happening at the same time. But yep. uh, I, I guess the answer is stop worrying about it. That is it. Yes. Okay. And, and oh, I mean, well. we'd have to we'd have to hope that maybe Hickman would read some of the books in his line that he is that he is credited as the head of Exxon. But I don't think that happened. Okay. So jumping into Inferno number two, I think we're going to skip a couple pretty quickly. Pass a couple of these scenes. We see mm -hmm. the details of how Mystique did the uh, little heist job and how she brought back Destiny, which, again, at the time we read it, was really cool to read, but you know now sure. we know what happens, so that was kind of fun. And then we jump to the vote, where they're going to have an immediate vote. I, I, I guess this is the way it works at the Quiet Council. Somebody calls for a vote, a vote's got to happen. There's no delay. Like there's, no, yeah. there's no filibuster. There's yeah, no nobody, it does, does anybody even have to second it? <laughs> it's like, we vote, okay. Yeah, there's no constitution, there's no continuing resolution, how we do things. It's just mm -hmm. kind of loosey-goosey. Sure. Okay, it's fine, it's a comic book. Why not? So, yeah, so Charles says, yeah, we're going to vote against Destiny, and then Mystique, yeah. we're going to vote to kick your ass out. Yeah, you're And done. then Destiny very starkly says, oh, would, would you like me to tell you now how that vote's going to turn out? <laughs> Which is a lot of fun. We can't see her face, of course, because the mask's on, but, but we can imagine what expression she's making. Sure. 
And of course, we see the vote go Destiny's way. Mm-hmm. We get these funny little uh, flashbacks to how Mystique kind of bought off or convinced various Quiet Council members to go along with her way of thinking. Yeah. And, you know, they're kind of fun. The only sure. one I'm really curious about is the Emma Frost one. That's the one that they play the most here because there's going to be, uh, we're going to see a lot of uh, flashbacks to a clandestine meeting between Mystique and Emma. And uh, it's going to be packages handed off. And, yeah. Uh, so and, and- we see Mystique, you know, doing some sort of Raiders of the Lost Ark thing and, you know, beating up some vaguely Middle Eastern looking goons. Yep. And kind of stealing a box and running off with it. And then she presents this box to Emma and Emma opens it up and says, Ooh, that's, Ooh. that's what I want. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll, and she sells her vote for this. We, she doesn't even know what the vote's going to be on. Yeah. Just uh, you owe me a, yeah, this, you this, owe me a yes this could vote. be a vote to blow up the island. Sure. Doesn't matter what it is. I, I guess almost. you could say she's Emma. She could always renege on her, on her promise. Oh, yeah. But, but yeah. So she's been bought off and we haven't seen it since, but we did see, in the what was it? It was in the gala we saw this happen, right? In the gala, there was uh, there was mention of something being delivered, right? Or was that the Shi'ar logic? Yeah, she's crystal? she's talking with some people who are members of a nameless secret society. I don't know if it's these same semi Middle Eastern goons yeah. or not, but what she really wants from them are the contents of the Karakutasa. That's how I'm going to say it. Sure. And it's written like it's in Turkish, like the the, the last C has a little curly Q at the, the bottom. The bottom. So yeah. I think it's like supposed to look like some kind of Turkic language. And so she, this is when she wanted it, and now here's when she gets it. And we never see inside the box. It's it's very much drawn like the uh, the briefcase in Pulp Fiction, right? <laughs> Where you just open it up and you, you see, see the glows inside. Yep. Ooh, and we never see what's inside. I doubt we're ever going to find out what this damn thing is, but I'm. Again, just like Pulp Fiction, I'm really curious about it. Mm-hmm. There you go. But whatever, the vote goes their way, and then they don't bother doing the vote to kick Mystique off because, yeah, they What's know the that's point? not going to work. What's yeah. the point? That is not going to happen. And, you know, just as things are getting very interesting, we shift okay. over to the Orcus Forge. Because, yeah, we need, a, we need a quick peek in for them. Yeah, I mean, I guess things, things were getting too good in this book. We had to, we had to, we needed a speed bump. Well, this this does set up a couple things. It sets up they're doing something about uh, I don't know if it's really increased solar power. Something about harnessing the power of the sun and beaming that power back to Earth. And then off on the side, we see that uh, Omega Sentinel Karima Shapandar, what's her name, and it's having a little side conversation with Nimrod. That'll pay saying, off. Hey, yeah. yeah, hey, now you can look at me and see, and this is in italics, what I really am. Which, and I, hmm. I think that was like the, uh, I think that quote was on like one of the uh, blank quote pages in this issue too. It's like it the, sounds like it would be, yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, that's a payoff for down the line. Sure. And again, one of those scenes that is really cool in retrospect. I think one nice thing about Jonathan Hickman books is they tend to reward rereading, right? Re-read Unless you're looking ap- for characterization or fun. Well, we have other books for that, but for <laughs> he, he puts enough thought, at least in his own books, where if you reread it right after reading the issue, you get some new stuff out of it. If you reread it at the end of the series, or even if you reread it after some other series have happened, there's he puts he, he drops in some little clues that that kind of pay off down the line, which I think is fun because you know mm-hmm. we got to say some nice things about these books. I they are fun. So. 
Yeah, they can so, be. The, the next scene we see is uh, back in the No Place, which looks much more spacious now than our last time we saw it. But they let uh, Moira know about Destiny being back. And, hey, you and know she that one thing it, you didn't want to happen? She <laughs> takes it about how you expect. Oops. Uh, yeah. And she, I mean, I'm telling you, in the bottom panel here, she looks exactly like April O'Neil. <laughs> you could cut and paste that right into a Turtles comic book and would fit right in. So yeah. I don't think I'm totally making that up. But. <laughs> But yeah, she she's just really angry at them, and we we uh, what else do we learn in this scene? We learned a couple. She of wanted us here. to uh, she wanted us to solve for X, which uh, I, I think I, maybe I don't know if she was trying to solve for ten since this is a Hickman book. But uh, she says we need to solve for X, and then turns to Magneto, and she's like, "Hey, it'd really suck if Destiny was killed, wouldn't it?" <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. So they have this talk about, and they said, "Sure, I mean." Magneto has clearly thought this through. Well, I mean, her mask's made of metal. I could just, but no, 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 Squish. I'm not going to yeah. do that. And it's like some combination of principle and yeah, that wouldn't go over well. It wouldn't you know, play some, politically. Yeah, yeah, some messy combination of those two things. Say, so, yeah, we're not going to actually do that. Yeah, that's basically forfeiting any sort of respect or uh, trust <laughs> that anybody can have in him. And he is one of the leaders of this of this uh, little nation here. So it's. Uh, I just love how, like, yeah, no, not going to do that. Not going to do that. Okay, so Moira's angry. That's all that really matters here. Yes. She is and we get hurt. we get a couple of data pages, two which are just pictures, you know, pages they didn't bother drawing. But one yeah. of them is an X-Force mission log where we see, hey, we've got to put ourselves on alert because of something going on in Paris. And then we see Xavier has overridden that. Nope. After, you know, second thought. Don't go on alert. Just ignore yeah. it, mm-hmm. which we don't really see what's going on there. But then we get another confusing scene that makes more sense in retrospect, where we yeah. see Sage at work, and then she gets up. Oh, time for lunch. We see one blank panel, and it's comic, so who knows how much time passes here. Sure. And then the very next panel, right on the same page, Sage is back, mm-hmm. and she turns off the security automation, and she goes in, and it looks like she authorizes this Xavier override. Exactly. So we see her create that data page we just saw, and then she walks out of the room, she walks through a gate, she walks to Paris, and now it was confusing the first time, but now we know, oh, this is Mystique doing her shenanigans again. So she turned off the alert, I guess because she doesn't want to be seen doing what she does next. Exactly. Right? If if they're all on high alert here in Paris, they're going to notice what I want to do, and we can't have that. So she impersonates various people. She steals an access card out of some orcus lady off to her own lunch break, or mm-hmm. probably not lunch, must be dinner there with the time zone change. True. And she goes through a little teleportation thing, and I'm not sure if he ends, she ends up up in the forge itself, but she ends up in some secret room full of, I, I do love these, uh, yeah, scientists slash monkeys slash monkey yeah, scientists. Yeah. Because that was what X that was X Men number one that happened, yep. right? Back in number one. Yep. Yeah. Which that's kind of fun to see that some of these scientists did survive mm-hmm. and they're still they're still apes and they're still wearing their various lab coats and doing their job. So that's nice. Nice. But so she learns about this mysterious thing happening with the forge. We'll open a doorway to the inner ring and force feed the sick world the medicine it needs, whatever that means. It's some big thing they're doing. That's going to be super big. That now Mystique knows about. Yeah, because this is this is them trying to like open that portal to the sun or, or something, right? This is goes back to a little bit more of that, I believe. 
Yeah, it, it's something that they think is going to be like their their big weapon against Krakoa. Yeah, for sure. Next, we cut to the Louvre, which is another mm-hmm. redo of an old scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, originally, we saw Emma they, here yeah. at the Louvre telling her about Krakoa. This is where she was recruited. She yeah. was recruited to Krakoa, and now, uh, back when they were angry in the no place, they decided we better bring somebody else in. And this, yeah. this was really their very, very worst decision. Oh yeah, the inner circle I, gets a little bigger, and yeah. uh, this is what brings it all down. Yeah, this is exactly. what does not go well at all. So they decide to have Emma learn the secret of Moira McTaggart. Yeah. And we get a nice little redo of that stacked panel scene where we used to see uh, Charles Xavier doing the mind meld and learning on, ooh, 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 mm-hmm. except with the Emma, it doesn't mm-hmm. go quite so well. Her yeah. brain goes a little crooked and she screams in pain and passes out. Yeah. And she gets glimpses of various, we see a really cool looking page with, you know, uh, Emma falling. Yeah. And in front of her standing, you know, looking like, hey, Anna, badass, Moira McTaggart. Mm-hmm. And then in the background, kind of like stained glass panels, All just glimpses lives. at yeah. different lives of Moira. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Including, and I think this is the important one, including that time she was burned to death by Pyro in life number three. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And As, I like this here because Xavier, he's like, uh, Emma's on the floor, you know, and Xavier goes to help her and she's like, no, <laughs> get away. And totally the reaction that charles and eric should have should have seen coming but oh, they yeah. didn't it's like their hubris got the best of them here and it's like it's like almost like they think that emma <laughs> should be thanking them it's like yeah. for letting her in and she's like almost no, like if, if i have a, a great plan for what i want to do with you know my little broadcast room here i go to tell my mm-hmm. wife hey i've got this great plan i want to buy this and this and knock <laughs> out that wall and of course i think it's a great idea because yeah. it's my idea and it doesn't always go over so well as i think and I think that's what happened here is Emma's yeah. really angry to have been, you know, used all this time or and just not kept be in the dark and yeah. kept in the dark and manipulated. I, I exactly. think Emma, out of everything, does not like to be manipulated. No. She likes to be on the other end of that. On oh, the other end. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So she storms off and Moira says, yeah, that, that wasn't so great. That didn't uh, work. That could have gone says, better. And now this is this is a little bit of a cul-de-sac introduced here where she says, yeah, we need someone we know we can trust. And then we get another quiet council scene. We get another vote to fill the one remaining empty chair. Mm-hmm. And we see they have uh, seven, to four seven to four voted for welcoming Colossus to the quiet council. Yes. Which, at, again, at the time felt like a big thing because we knew that he was secretly under control by the chronicler. The, the chronicler through is it Brother Mikhail, Russia. the yep, Russian the, yeah. Brother so, Russia. So that seems like oh, that's going to play out in this series, but it never does. No, we it don't still see. hasn't. Yeah, we're still waiting for that shoe to drop all these months later. But again, yeah. I think this was something Jonathan Hickman. It seemed like a cool playing ball. Yeah, it playing ball with the rest of the line. Also, it was a good ooh moment for the end of this issue, even if he knew. That that ooh moment was not going to it's pay off fall flat, yeah, until well Colossus, after he was off the, the whole Yeah, book. Colossus doesn't even show up in the third issue of this series. The big cliffhanger. No, I don't think she has any lines in the rest of the series. No, he, Colossus is just done, you know? Um, and I recently covered, uh, what was it, X-Force number 28, and the Chronicler thing is still just being relegated to an info page. It's uh, not being addressed on panel. It's, I mean, Colossus didn't even show up in the issue. <laughs> yeah, just, I, I uh, wonder what the plan is for that. I mean, I think I'd enjoy it more if we saw little hints of it happening on panel. 
Like 100%. whether it's him sending information back or he's about to do something and then, oh, I decide to do this other seemingly insignificant different thing because he's being mm-hmm. influenced. Something to make me think it's really bubbling along rather than it feels yeah, very artificial. Like like back back when Claremont would do the bubbling subplots here, you, there'd be a layer of mystery over the actual subplot. Like we would have maybe seen the chronicler in like a random panel writing something. He wouldn't be addressed. He wouldn't be named. He, we wouldn't know his end game. We wouldn't know his plans. It's like why is it? Who is this guy writing? And we'd we'd question that. And then all of a sudden we'd find out. Here we're abusing info pages to do that kind of thing. It's like, here's everything you need to know. We're just not going to pay it off until we feel like it. Yeah, it, it, it takes a lot of it out. It's almost like they thought they were going to have that storyline happen sooner, but then they decided, oh, no, we need to do this, these other three things first and just I bet keep they kicking did. that can down the road. I bet they did. I bet this was – when we get into X-Lives and X-Deaths, we're going to talk about that too. I think a lot of these stories were – had originally were originally intended for other what, things. What book was the the uh, chronicler first introduced in those those infections? It was X Force. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Sure. So yep. I guess I mean, I guess that'll pay off in a, a Ben Percy thing down the road. At least it's gotta, maybe. yeah, it's almost gotta. I mean, he is the one with the uh, with the biggest med on for Russia. So um, I'm guessing probably. Okay, so that's Inferno number two, where I think mm-hmm. the big thing is the the big move that is going to bring them down in the end is deciding to bring Emma into the conspiracy because she is very much a wild card. She's not quite against them against them, but she's yeah. looking to make a little chaos. And I do, um, another thing about the Emma Frost scene here is something I like to project. I like to uh, wildly speculate and uh, like I'm very precious about the stories. Um, I almost saw Emma as like a reader stand-in where like – when we first read Hoxpox, it was like if you were a longtime X Men reader, you had a lot of questions, and you didn't. You felt like you were being manipulated into following a story that you weren't quite sure you wanted to follow, and you didn't know where it was headed. You didn't know how much of your history actually existed anymore. Right. You didn't know anything. And Emma's reaction here is a very extreme version of like a fan reaction to finding all this stuff out. Like when we saw the big reveal, oh yeah, Mora, that character you've known for thirty, forty years. Well, you didn't know her. You didn't know her at all. And in fact, everything that's happened has been carefully curated, manipulated, and mm-hmm. just manicured into happening the way it did. There was no free will in anything you read. Everything was planned. When things didn't go right, we just restarted. And we made it so it happened exactly the way you saw it. It really took, and I mean, we don't have power as readers. We're just their voyeurs, you know, we're just watching and we're, we're just passively a part of these stories but when we found out that nothing was left to fate everything was you know, strings were being pulled from 1963 till now and it, we it's like we felt like we were being lied to this whole time of course it, it is a very extreme and precious reaction to a story but emma's reaction here is kind of relatable it to is an extent. I, it's just like i wonder what if that was due to us i'm gonna guess that's probably not an intentional meta reference oh, but it. i think it I works it. It, it works it, i like yeah. the connection like yeah it's uh, yeah, one of my one of my big takeaways, and part of why this uh, this issue was one of my uh, favorites of the of the mini. Nice. Okay, so that was number two, and we head right into Inferno number three, mm-hmm. and we start off with what I'm going to call the secret history of Doug Ramsey, mm-hmm. because we get a re- a review of he was brought into Krakoa very very early because yes. they needed his special language skills to make the whole thing work contact. so they yeah. could make the deal with Krakoa because when we found out that Xavier could kind of talk to Krakoa, but on a very, very, 
very basic level. So he needed to bring in, you know, super linguist. And we find out that, again, we see him, another story thread that I think didn't really play out the way they expected was how he was kind of hiding, uh, not Wolverine, uh, <laughs> Warlock. Warlock as on his arm there. And it was secret, but it wasn't secret. And then they eventually decided, yeah, it's not secret. I think something was going to happen, but anyway, those were those are some of the creepiest damn scenes early on here. Where like you'd see like one pa- like Cyclops would be walking past, he'd look in a room, and like Doug would be there at a table with Warlock just talking, and then Cyclops, Cyclops would look back, and it would just be Doug. Yeah, some storyline they just weird. decided, you know what, we're not going to do that. Let's pretend yeah. we never set it up. No, we don't Forget have time for that. That's fine. Yeah. Okay, a lot of I've things got going stuff, on. Stuff to do. I, I don't have time for this, <laughs> but. He and uh, Doug and Warlock are on the island, you know, talking to the island, talking about things, talking about their past history with Xavier and asking, do we do we really completely 100% trust him and no self-friend? We are not that stupid. Mm-hmm. We do not. So mm-hmm. they're going to have their own little, kind of like a separate side deal with the island. Because yeah. remember, Krakoa is the biggest part of this whole new era. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the Krakoa era. That's where they live. It's what makes this whole life possible. Mm-hmm. It what you know it provides this magical world they live in. Without the islands buy-in, they got it's nothing. Mm-hmm. So again, I think that's how this era is going to end. Is Krakoa decides I know, I'm going I'm, back to in, the moon, include man. me I'm out, flying back into going back into orbit. But he and Doug and Warlock make this deal where it's kind of like this this kind of circle where uh, the island and Warlock kind of feed off of each other, kind of integrate bits of themselves into the mm-hmm. other one until there's this whole separate, literally and metaphorically, underground level to the island where Warlock is operating his techno-organic situation. And no one else knows about this except for Doug, Warlock, and the island. And we found out last time, Black Tom (laughs) knows, he kind of has a feeling something's weird, but whatever, everything seems to work. It tickles, so he likes it. (laughs) this This is pretty interesting because this is one of the things about Warlock that it never really worked going back to like the original, you know, new mutant stuff here. They consider him a mutant because he is different than the technarchy. Like he's just his behavior is different. So they consider him a mutant and somehow that's still able to kind of feed Krakoa a little bit. I, It's it's strange, but it does play the ball where it lies. It's just one of those things that I always was just like, you had to kind of squint a little bit for <laughs> it to work. And one thing I like about Warlock is he always looks like he's drawn by Sienkiewicz. I yeah. think that design was so strong and so closely tied to his own artistic style mm-hmm. that for anyone else to draw Warlock, they have to think to themselves, okay, I got to I gotta draw like some Kevin here. Oh, yeah. Which is yeah, kind of cool why, because- Rod Reese is a, is a really good uh, follow-up to, uh, to Sienkiewicz. Yeah. But yeah. he kind of looks like he doesn't fit in with the rest of the world, which works for that to, character. Yeah, right. for sure. So it's kind of neat. So I, I like that character. I, I'd like to go back and read some of his history, which I really don't know. It's it's interesting stuff. Um, it's and, and yeah, it's it's pure Sinkevich when he was in, at his most experimental mm-hmm. in those. Uh, and there does seem to be. Years. I'm not sure if you're up to it yet, so I'm not going to spoil anything. Mm-hmm. But there is there does seem to be a warlock related storyline coming up very currently in in uh, X Men things. So yes, uh, yeah, Legion Legion did drop that news. Okay, of uh, yeah. his father being yeah. being killed. Okay, mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if you're up to that. Yeah, yeah that was a Legion of X number <clears throat> one. Oh, okay, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, so we do. We're going to find out more about Warlock, which I'm looking forward to. But yeah. what we find out here is, yeah, they've got this little little thing little going on in their own. Yeah, but then we go to like more uh, more origin stuff here, more secret origins here. The five and one are brought back. 
you know, for the longest time, I think we were down to like three cuckoos um, right. that Bendis characterized by giving them different color hair, which, uh, you know, that was like the, uh, the, the Spice Girls version of uh, characterization. <laughs> and I mean, I do love the Spice Girls, but, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it's like, okay, you have dark hair, you have red hair, you have blonde hair. So that's how we can tell you apart. I'm not going to write any characterization for you, but there you go. But now we got yeah, five. And again. I'm not sure if that, that might have been the very first for Cohen Resurrection. I think if not, that was it's the way early. it was. I think that was the way it was framed, you know, okay. as being the, the first one here. Because I think this was like a test run for the protocol period. And like, even I think in this scene, Doug is like beside himself that this actually worked. And I think this might be what won him over. And it's like, okay, maybe there are legs to this plan. And uh, from here, we get the flowers. We start getting flowers, gateway flowers, habitat flowers. Mm -hmm. We're basically literally building the world here. Yeah, we see that the magic med flowers were created by uh, as a plan of Beast yeah, using some sort of cadavers he supplied and kind of yeah. integrating seeds with cadavers that died specific ways and was really super gross. But yeah, so we see that it was Beast's kind of doing all along. And I think the way that this is done sets up the idea that, you know, it's not that these are the only three such flowers that could exist. They're just these the are only just ones that the, do right now. The three they happen to make. But yeah. really opens the door for, hey, if we want to get some other different kinds of cadavers and plant some seeds in them, mm -hmm. maybe we could make something else. Whether they ever do that or not, who the hell I mean, knows? It's, it's open-ended. But uh, this is where we get our, our timeline. We find oh. out that this happened four months ago. We need to ignore this timeline because this timeline <laughs> makes no freaking sense at all. It We've just had two dozens. annual galas in four months. <laughs> How, yeah. So we get so we get like the, the Doug stuff as a sometime in the past. Then okay, they Legion, should have just Legion's stuck with been them. hanging out on the on Mars for six oh months God. in four yeah. months. Yeah, very great. Yeah, later, the, the but then, flowers yeah. the flowers are L I and M. Those yeah, are the letters. Four here. months ago was barely anyone lives on Krakoa yet, and we just yeah. created the magic med flowers. Yep. Yeah. And then two and months ago is that's where the big speech is. The yeah, where one, Xavier goes into everybody's brain and says, "Hey, guess what? Which <laughs> We're here. I don't." I don't, it seems so incredibly p impossible that, mm -hmm. is it intentionally impossible or just, I don't know. It's just, we just need to, if I had a, a physical copy, I would just take a big black magic marker mm -hmm. and scribble over way. those, those time markings because there's no way to rationalize that against yeah. anything that's happened. Because this is, I actually made a list here of the stuff that, because this is two months ago was Hoxpox uh, or it was House of X number five or whatever it was, or House of X number six. In two months, We've had X of Tens. We had the Hellfire Gala and all the dress fittings, which clearly took forever. <laughs> Quentin Quire dying several hundred times. The life and death of Kid Cable. King in Black. Right. Empire. Oh, God. Franklin Richards coming to Krakoa <laughs> and being unmutanted. Uh -huh. Terra Verde being taken over by Beast. Onslaught coming back and being killed again. Onslaught training Richter and, I'm sorry, Apocalypse training Richter and magic. Mm -hmm. Otherworld being overthrown like 11 times. <laughs> X-Corp, Xeno, several thousand Russian groups forming, Ominous Verandi, the new Reavers, plus all those numerous months ago references that we saw in all the other X-Books. So, and yeah. that was in, in two months. Yeah. I, again, in two months. Eight it. weeks. Eight weeks. <laughs> okay. So leaving the timeline behind for well, everyone yeah, ever and ever, because I just don't want to think about it. No. We see in current day, we see Mystique and Destiny. Uh, they're either summoned to or visiting... Emma at the White Palace. Uh, they have little snarky little chit chat with the five and one about are they really different or are they all the same and do they have different destinies? 
which mm-hmm. is kind of clever. Yeah. But then we have that shot with Emma, and Emma immediately, because remember, she just learned this special thing about Moira. Mm-hmm. She can't wait to spill the beans to somebody, She's and she chooses, yep. she chooses the biggest enemies of Charles and Magneto on the island. Mm-hmm. Right? This is not just picking a random person to tell. She is picking, who can I tell that'll piss them off the most? Yeah, it's like Emma's trying to burn the place down. She says she tells them five things. More is alive. More is a mutant. Mora comes back to life. More is resetting the timeline each time she dies. And, oh, by the way, in her third life, you all burned her to death. <laughs> yes, we learn that uh, when Emma scans a mind, she picks up on the flaws or the bad things in it, whereas Charles always looks for the good, good, good in people, yep. mm-hmm. which is a little... Little little heavy hand, a little wishy washy. Well, okay, yeah. we'll go for that. So she does see this this moment when they burned her to death, and mm-hmm. I like that. Destiny is so surprised by this that her mask flies off. <laughs> 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 you, okay, yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> That's a comic book. These things happen, of course. But yeah, so now they know what's up, and Emma's not entirely on their side. There, she. I mean, even Destiny yeah. says, "Yeah, you're just you're just one you're more just person." Burning. Yeah. Messing with us, you know, everybody's been messing with us, and you're just you're just one more doing that. Mm-hmm. But then we get a little hint. But she is going to give us some gifts. We don't see what those gifts are quite yet. But Emma's going to do a little more than just spill the beans for sure. For sure. Yes, this is where we. I think we go right here to uh, Mora getting abducted. Right, we do. So we go back. She's going to take another stroll through Paris. You know, pick mm-hmm. up some macarons at the uh, patisserie, perhaps. Uh-huh. 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 And uh, but instead, as soon as she goes through, she's jumped by some Orcus goons and various, you know, beekeeper type headsets, and brought back to their own little facility there in Paris, and goes through some kind of teleportation gate. So who knows where the hell they are now? In fact, we do know because they're going to be in Terra Verde, aren't they? Yes, they are. They are indeed. And we find out later that this is very much orchestrated by Mystique. In fact, yeah. she is one of those she's pulling Orcus goons. Yeah. yeah, she's yeah, she's, she's the one kind of grabbing her her, uh, her forearm and twisting it around behind her back. Yeah. Yeah. Then we go to the House of M, which uh, the actual physical one, not the horrible uh, Bendis event. Oh, thank goodness. Um, yes. Uh, here uh, we have Magneto and Charles talking, and it's it's kind of an interesting talk, but at the same time, it's a little bit frustrating. Um, because you have they're, – they're talking basically about the whole Groundhog Day situation that they're kind of doomed to be in here. It's like, well, we're just going to keep repeating this. And they talk about how when Emma was told the secret, they didn't really give her the whole story. They gave her a little twisted version of it where they say that in every timeline or, or I guess, lifeline of Mora's that the mutants win. Mm-hmm. Of course, we know the opposite's true. And if that were the case in the first place, why do we keep repeating the cycle if they always win? I don't know. I, I presume that always win is the always so far, but this time it's going to be different. This time it'll be different, yeah. So here's where we find out. We get the psychic scream of Mora, and uh, Charles knows that she's hurt. And uh, this couldn't possibly be a trap, so they got ahead to where? Yeah, her maybe dying. And again, because they never put in a fail safe to prevent her yeah. from restarting this world again, this is Everything's the biggest emergency the ever, mm-hmm. except. They head off on their own. They don't spill the beans to anybody else. Or don't else assemble a team. Sorry, yeah. right. Uh, sorry we didn't tell you about this, but Moira's alive, and if she dies, it's We're all done. over. No, they, just the two of them are going to go off and take care of it. Uh, it's in Terra Verde, Orcus Node, and yeah, so that's what they're going to do. And we get now back to the Orcus Forge, where Karima and Nimrod are hanging out, and 
we get the conclusion of that conversation before. Yeah. And we learn the secret history of Karima What's-Her-Face. Mm-hmm. And this this is the craziest thing in the whole damn book, I think. Yeah, it's kind of a like a twisted version of uh, Days of Future Past. It's, it is. Uh, with uh, Karima in the, the kitty role. It's it's pretty interesting. So the what we find out is that she's from a future timeline. Mm-hmm. And in that timeline, she says the mutants always win. They always which win. Which I know they put that in for the, the parallelism, but I don't think the always is really motivated here by what she actually saw. She saw the mutants win, for yeah. sure. So in, in her timeline, the uh, what was it? The, the children of the vault come out and the, get their yeah, ass handed to them. Yeah. Right. They're kind of like the mutants and the humans team up against the children, uh, but they kind of because- hold them off for a while, and then Apocalypse comes back. And that's when the children are completely defeated. They're de- decimated. Yeah, because the children of the vault are there, I think, to symbolize post-humanity, which is, yes. of course, Karima and Nimrod's whole whole gimmick. So right. she saw they, they saw, or she saw their people being taken down. So it's, it's pretty interesting. I like the parallels here. And um, like Nimrod being created in the future, then coming back to the present past to stuff out mutantdom, it's it's – it's interesting the way right, so that, that they were able to make this work. Yeah. So originally, Nimrod came back from the timeline that was – I'm going to get the name wrong. What was that story called? Days of Future Past? Days of Future oh, Past. Yeah. yeah where, where, uh, where like Rachel was a hound and uh, it, it was around the time of Uncanny 200 or so. But this one – because this one fell very easily and it became basically like a villain and that or one, monster of the week. that one did exist in Moira's current 10th life in the past of our current characters – Mm-hmm. Because we saw even in a flashback to the the Hellfire you know club mm-hmm. that that Nimrod existed. This is yeah. Was, this is Nimrod the Lesser. Okay. This is the this because remember in uh, in Hoxpox or I think the Powers of X version we had Nimrod the Lesser and then we had like Nimrod the Greater. Okay. And I think the one that's supposed to be like the the kill switch is Nimrod the Greater. This one, of course, Nimrod the Lesser. So back in Karima's original timeline, she lived to see the mutant ascendancy, and, and the mutants even defeat those uh, machine dominions. Who in our one of our uh, powers of X timelines, that was going to be the big end game. That was life six, the one that right, we that, didn't see until the very very end. That was the gonna one be the line big that was human machine end game where, where the, like, the uh, mutants were kept in a little in zoo, zoo. Yep. right? And but in Karima's timeline, the mutants defeated those dominions. Yes. They made this very Kirby celestial looking, you use the Phoenix force. I guess they got the Phoenix back from the Avengers at some point. <laughs> they they, they and, it out. Yeah. So somehow the mutants just completely win over the entire universe. Yeah. Which being a post-human kind of machine, uh, she thinks is, is not so bueno. But yeah. then the craziest thing in this whole damn book, at the very end of time, we are just told in one panel there was a trickster titan. Yeah, this again. Which is just some big spiky techno-organic thing that I guess just wants to cause trouble. Yeah. And this was also a betrayer. So it was kind of a betrayer of its own techno-titan people. Yeah. But now it's going to make up for that by sending Karima- Back to the present past. Way yeah. back in time. And so then she uh, uh, comes up in- Again, Moira's 10th life timeline, mm-hmm. and she meets Killian Devo, yep. who we know to be the director and founder of Orcus, and she sells him a whole line of bull. 
Yeah, she swaps she, his eyes out. <laughs> she swaps his eyes out. So now she is in complete control of everything he sees. He's like yeah. permanently in a holodeck. Exactly. And she convinces him, and we, we don't see this, we're just told, she convinces him that he had come from that far future mutant ascendant timeline mm-hmm. and that he was sent back and it's his job to make it he stop happening. To do the, yeah, it's like she like downloads her memories into his mind and makes them seem like they're his own. It's it's all very technical. Very quickly done yeah. and literally, oh, yeah. two, yeah, literally two panels. Thank goodness. And she, so she is really the founder of Orcus, even yeah. though he thinks he was. Exactly. He thinks that she's working for him when really he's she's controlling everything the whole way around. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, there could be a whole twelve issue maxi series on this, which I I probably wouldn't want to read. But don't, don't put that a, out in the universe. In yeah. Well, you don't know what uh, you know. Jonathan Hickman's going to do some special series coming up. Maybe <gasps> that will be what this oh. is. we heard about that whole thing with the Valeria Sheedy one. But okay, so that is the secret history and the future history of Kareem and What's-Her-Face, mm-hmm. and she tells all this to the current Nimrod, and he's all in. He says, okay, you and yeah, me, we're the it. team against everybody. They think we're working for them. It's really all about us. And then they get a message from a, uh, a beautiful-headed Terraverdi and Orcus guy, who we find out later is, of course, actually Mystique, because mm-hmm. I think everyone in this book is Mystique. They're just... Mystique's just talking to herself all over the place. Exactly. Yeah, she's she's got some issues this time. Yeah, and she tells them, "Hey, there's something bad going down Come here on, in yeah. Terra Verde. You better show up and you know kick some rear end." Yeah. From here, we get six info pages. Yeah, it's the He's really getting the, them out of his system. Huh? It's the timeline version. You know, it looks just like Moira's timelines, but with it's this extra screens. little you know you know jump to the left and then a step to the right, all about the. Uh, this this new days of future past past of days future future. I love past how stylized this is though. Um, Tom Muller, I don't think he gets enough credit with the the way these are stylized because like Moore's life's kind of like bend around making an Omega symbol, like yeah. where where Omega Sentinels like embedded. It's it's pretty cool. I, I really like that. Yeah, there's a bunch of numbers in that Omega sign, and I don't know what those are. Those the lives of Moira. I, I don't those are know. like the uh, eight stages of Omega Sentinel. We have infection, nesting, replication, oh. dormancy, activation, gotcha, union, gotcha. and adaptation. Okay, so that changes a whole bunch of things about Nimrod and Omega Sentinel. Mm-hmm. But now we see Charles and Magneto are following that signal that they uh, that, that tracker they put in Moira's arm, mm-hmm. and they they follow that tracker back to where Moira must be because that's where her arm is there in Terra Verde. And they walk in and they see it's a whole bunch of dead Orcus people. Yeah, and it's not clear quite yet why they're all dead, but boy, it looks bad. And mm-hmm. they go deeper into the base. They you know use their special tracker. They find her. Except they don't find her; they just find her severed arm, uh-huh. which is pretty clever. That I mean that that was sure. set up and paid off well. We know the trackers on the arm; we followed him, and we see that actually the rest of Moira is with Mystique. And I don't think we quite see exactly where they are yet, but they're sure as yeah. heck not in Terra Verde. Mm-hmm. But in Terra Verde, we get beaming in a whole bunch more of Orcus goons plus Nimrod plus Omega Sentinel. And Charles and Magneto are in a heap of trouble. Yeah. That is where we end issue number three. Mm-hmm. So what do we take from that? Yeah, I uh I, I kinda got deep in the weeds when I covered this one the first time around. No. Where uh believe it or not. Believe <laughs> it or not. Um where like you talk about 
how this is all supposed to be very scientific and high concept, but like the scientific method that they're utilizing or employing here is based on very, very small sample sizes, which are like never really what you want to go with. Okay. It's like we have like very, very small sample sizes and the deduction from those small sample sizes that every single time their side, whether it be Mora or Karima, their side is going to lose. And it's like, I don't know if that's enough to go on. It's I don't know if that's enough to dedicate an entire life to a mission. <laughs> but uh, mm. again, it's comics, of course. And of course, I'm yeah, way you, deep you in the You can't world. exactly do a, you know, a, an RCT on changing the universe over and over Certainly and see not. who wins. Certainly just, not doesn't work. But it, it oh. just seems like a, uh, it's like, oh, well, that happened. But uh, can we assume it's going to always happen? Well, I guess maybe. You know, we only have so many pages to work with. Yeah, but overall, this was a really a, a crazy issue. We see very, very thick, what's very, really very going on with Doug. We see what's really going on with Karima and mm-hmm. Nimrod. And we see what's really going on with uh, Mystique and Destiny and their big old plan to, to take their revenge. Yep. And most importantly, we get our timeline. We do four months. <clears throat> oh God! <laughs> I, I thought you were talking about the uh, Nimrod timeline. No, no, I'm talking about the important. I put timeline. the other one out of my mind already because <laughs> yes, we, we must. <laughs> oh, gosh, anything else about issue number three? No, um, we we finally get a uh, a cliffhanger that we can be confident will pay off. Which in is this very thing. series, yes, exactly, exactly, and it's one that actually has some weight to it because. I mean, should Charles and uh, Eric not make it? What are they going to remember? What are they not going to remember? How much of this is yeah. may and as well again, not have even happened? They it's, they think that uh, they have to save Moira, otherwise, have no choice. Literally, the whole universe just resets. They yeah, think they, it's I, again. I really think they should have mentioned to Beast or Sage or somebody, or the captains they, or somebody. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I know they don't want to let the. The secret out, but sure. this is pretty much as bad this as it gets. Break, yeah, this is break glass sort of a situation here. But um, but yeah, I, I do like this one. And uh, this was like the first issue of this that I read that I really couldn't wait to get to the next one. Well, lucky for us, we don't have to wait. We can just turn the page. And we, here we are in the final issue, Inferno number four, the last X-Men book that Hickman's ever going to write, at least until three reboots down the line when he does mm-hmm. it again. Uh, so he, anything he wants to do, he's got to get it done in this issue. And we jump right back in to Terra Verde, where uh, we see Charles and Xavier just surrounded by, I don't know, several dozen uh, kind of generic goons. replaceable yeah. Orcus goons, except for one of them has his mask off saying, you will submit to human science, because he thinks it's all about human science here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it turns out that maybe not so much, because just to show how not so much, uh, Karima and Nimrod who I think brought these people here, or at least maybe they just arrived or at the same time. Them. I don't know, yeah. Yeah, now they just kill all the all the humans. Yeah, kill all humans. Dolby didn't see it coming. No. This is just showing the, the people how little they matter. This will teach them a lesson by killing them. They'll certainly remember this. <laughs> uh, so that just brings our numbers way down, makes the, the panels much easier to draw because the only ones <laughs> left are Nimrod and Karima and Charles and Shaking Magneto. Eric. Yep. <laughs> so this is them revealing to the mutants, it's not about the humans. We are your enemies. Yeah, exactly. Really good way to do that, too, because like you'd almost think there's a lot of hubris at play here. And uh, I think that's kind of one of the themes when we have uh, Xavier on panel, especially where it's like Karima and Nimrod could have let the humans do whatever they could to Xavier and Magneto to take them off the board. But that wasn't the point. They This was about sending a message. This was about... Telling them, like, hey, these people you've been fighting, well, 
they weren't really the enemy there. They, they, they don't like you, but we're the ones you should be afraid of. Yes. And it was about making so that see, point, and I liked it. We see this fight go back and forth a little bit. Uh, it looks like Xavier kind of rips apart Nimrod into pieces using his yeah. telekinesis, but of course, he goes right back together because it's Nimrod. And they're desperate to find out where Moira is because they think that, well, you must have the rest of Moira. Uh, Nimrod and Karima, for all they know, they have no idea what he's talking about. And I'm going to assume that Magneto tore Nimrod apart because Xavier doesn't have telekinesis. <laughs> oh. Okay. Sure. <laughs> but he Why has not? been shown with it before, just like Gene. And uh, uh, one of the things about this scene that I really appreciated was- Maybe was he mentally back. controls Nimrod into blowing himself up. Yes. Yeah, so please do that. That would be very nice. Uh Karima has a callback here to um, a Mora line from Hoxpox, where Mora is telling Xavier, like, hey, you know what? This is your dream, but it can't be a dream if it's real. Here we have Karima saying, this must be your nightmare. But you know what? It can't be your nightmare because it's real. <laughs> it's happening to you right <laughs> that now. That is a I nice like little that. connection. Hick- Hickman yeah. does like his callbacks. He does. He does. Only to himself, though. Yeah, so th- we kind of leave the ending of, but the fight's not over yet, but we yeah. see it's kind of going back and back forth. No one's yeah. no one's really won, but Charles and Xavier are desperate because they got to find Moira. So we mm-hmm. turn the page and we see Moira, and they are back in her no place, back on mm-hmm. Krakoa. Her and Destiny and Mystique, and Moira's thinking she's pretty smug because, yeah, sure, you cut my arm off, but, you know, you know what's going on here, so you can't kill me. You can't kill me. Yeah. But then uh, Mystique takes out a zappy gun. And, and zaps her, and we see some panels go fade to white, which makes us think, or at least makes us want to think that, oh, are we resetting the whole resetting. damn universe here? Yep. And then well, all these hundreds of issues, no one's going to remember them except for Moira mm-hmm. and her next life. Yep. And we even get a, a, a title of the issue called The Death of Moira X. Mm-hmm. But then we turn the page one more time, and hey, it... Uh, we're still going backwards, so maybe it really yeah. happens. And we see the rest of that scene when they were visiting Emma. Rust. And we see the gifts that they gave her. And the first gift was that knowledge of mm-hmm. what's really going on with Moira. The second gift is, well, it's Forge's demutantifying gun, isn't it? Mm-hmm. His power nullifier. His power nullifier, which you really wonder where this has been kicking around the island all this time, because... Of anything to be under ultimate lock and key, or maybe, hey, just destroy the thing, you'd think it would be this item. You know, it's your your ultimate your, your ultimate nullifier sort of a thing, except for mutant sense. But no, Emma's just got it, and mm-hmm. she gives it to Mystique and Destiny. Yeah. And then we get the review of what Mystique was really doing. We see she was really sage. She was everybody. <laughs> she was really the Orcus goon. And then mm-hmm. we see that the reason all those Orcus goons originally were dead she was some kind of gas that makes them all kill each other. Yeah, she like which is she turns them nuts. Convenient. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I guess I mean we know Mystique's you know an extreme. She she's willing to do villainy kind of things to serve sure. her own purposes. I guess Destiny's okay with this as well too. I don't really know her so well, but I guess she signs off on it. Sure. We see her. We don't actually see them cutting off Moira's arm, but we see the before and after of that. Yeah. And now we jump forward and we see yes, it was the demutifying gun, and now Moira is no longer a mutant. Mm-hmm. So now they're just going to kill her maybe, sort of, possibly, but they I can. can't quite decide can. because it's not going to reset the world, but Destiny, who sees the future, is kind of confused here because they can tell she she can tell they're at a profound nexus point, yeah, which is a very Doctor Who kind of term, <laughs> but she can't tell what's going to happen next. She can tell what's going to happen next will matter, but she doesn't know what the right thing to do. 
Yeah. And here's where Moira kind of has, if this was a, a movie, this would be the actress's Oscar moment where she has to sell her change, her revelation that her plan was to save us. And we don't know exactly what that means. Destiny can, I guess, using her destiny powers, know you want to cure us. Moira's still on that cure the mutants of mutantdom kick, mm -hmm. which it's hard to square that with everything she's done since Hoxpox. Right, so if that and was her plan that's all along, period since Hawksbox. Right, if that was her plan all along, where does Krakoa fit into that plan? Where does Arako fit in? Where does Mars fit in? Where does any of this fit in? I guess you could say maybe she's hoping to use Krakoa to get all the mutants together so she can do something to them all at once. But her cure really isn't about the current mutants; it's about putting something Future out into the world to make. You know, to, to steal a line from a, a certain Scarlet Witch, no more mutants. Mm -hmm. That they just won't be any more manifesting. Yeah. I guess if you put this out into the atmosphere, into the water supply, like like Joker, whatever you're going to do, it will just stop the mutants from happening. Mm-hmm. Or as this was probably originally written in medicine. That that would certainly make sense. Mm-hmm. So now we go back to the big old fight scene. It's kind of going back and forth again. And, and it's a long fight scene. It is. I mean, this is the long. This is a 52-page issue on my, my digital version here. Seven or eight bucks, too. Yeah. Big and we see we, we end up with a Quentin, Quentin Tarantino kind of standoff where Magneto has Karima in his clutches and can kill her, but Nimrod has Charles in his clutches mm -hmm. and can kill him. Yep. So how are we going to resolve this, especially with you know time running out as far as Magneto and Xavier are considered? For sure. They got to so, move. Charles says, yeah, you got to make a deal with him. So long story short, Magneto says, okay, I'll release her. You release him. They can Snap. leave. You and you and me will fight it out. And Nimrod says, really? You thought I was going to go along with that? Screw you anyway. Yeah. And just <laughs> kills Charles. Uh-oh. Right and Whoops. then they go back to fighting again. You know, I think the lesson here is that you should never trust a machine that was solely built to hunt you down and kill you. <laughs> that sounds like a tattoo I should get. Mm -hmm. That's nice. Yeah, right, 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 right above the born to lose one, I think. is. is <laughs> and I'll print right it go. backwards so when I look in the mirror, I can read it. You'll always That's be reminded. Thing. Yeah. And so then they kill Magneto. Mm -hmm. They both die. And Nimrod and Omega Sentinel, you know, they're victorious. And they, they win the day. They win the day and they leave. So this is actually where Charles and Magneto dying happens. Yeah. We knew it was going to happen. Maybe we thought it already happened, but this That's is the one that matters. Mm -hmm. So now we head back to the no place once more, and this is where it all kind of comes together. They're deciding, yeah. hmm, to kill or not to kill, you know, what are we going to do with Moira? And then they have a visitor, and it is our friend Doug. Douglas. Trying to act like he's cool and calm and collected and totally in control, mm -hmm. which I don't really buy, but in my, my version of this, he is basically wetting his pants. He's no idea what's going to happen, but he's trying to act like... Like he's got real, it under control. Yeah, yeah he's that, like that's really my my version of Doug. Badass, is, it's yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really jive. But I, I I can say you know he's he's faking it because he can't make it. So I'm going to sure. go with, with that version. So he's mm -hmm. saying you know hey I know what's going on. I've been watching. You can't kill her now because there's there's we got we got only got three rules and that's one yeah. of them. You can't Don't kill, kill her. a human. Yeah. And yeah, there's this kind of standoff. Well, well maybe she has to die. We can kill you and. Uh, and Mystique is like, yeah, we could we could kill you real easy. You're just Doug. We, everyone knows you can't fight worth a good goddamn. That's been 
lampshaded over and over in multiple events. So what are you even here for? But then- You met my wife? Say hello to my little friends. Yeah. We see Bay the Blood Moon walks in behind him, and then Krakoa himself, itself, is lurking in the background. And then, oh, also, just to top it all off, it's it's Warlock looking his his badassest. And yeah. So Mystique says, okay, Destiny, look in the future. Can we kill them all? And she says, yeah, no. Not today. We got- we don't really have so many choices. We got to go along with Doug here and let her go, at least for now. Yeah. So Doug's plan is not to bring her back into Krakoan society, which would be another way to go, mm-hmm. right? Go back up to the surface and say, hey, everybody, here's what's going on. Here's what you didn't know about. He just says, okay, have this this techno-organic arm because you know, you'd have an easier time with two arms, even if one looks like a glowing futuristic robot. Yeah. Okay. And we're going to give you a head start. And head through this gate, and sure, they're going to come to try to kill you later, but hey, we've at least given you a chance. Yeah, I do like it here where Mystique's, or where Moore is like, uh, well, now you can follow me wherever, with this arm. You know where I'm at. And Doug's like, I don't give a rat's ass where you go, just as long as you leave. <laughs> just go. I kind of dug that. And yeah, so then we jump to one week later, and we see the scene once again of Charles and Xavier being reborn, and it is one full week later, which is mm-hmm. interesting. Makes me wonder. Did they take time to verify they were dead? Yeah. Uh, but I guess once they're off the board, Emma's kind of running things. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, there's the quiet council, but she's manipulating. She can really do. She's the only she's one who knows what's cheese. going on, yeah. who's still alive and still on the island and still a mutant. Yeah. Other than Doug, and, and Doug's not interested in all this political stuff. No. So during this week, she let the rest of the council in on the Moira secret. Mm-hmm. So it's not publicly known. But it is known to a wider circle now. They, so they they're going to have to share this, now. this burden, yeah. this knowledge. And maybe she intentionally put off the resurrection of Charles and Magneto so she could set up what Make she wanted to set up with the council. Yeah. Exactly. For sure. For sure. And then we get a little, little look around the island of where everyone is. We get mm-hmm. some kind of semi-ironic titles. Like we get Colossus titled The Trustworthy. Yep. Which again, oh, was that going to pay off? Maybe sometime. Maybe. Not yet. Not yet. Mm-hmm. We get the innocent children, who is the label of Doug, who we've just yeah. seen is not so innocent as we thought he was. The broken keeper is Emma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when we do get the killers being Mystique and Destiny, that's pretty straightforward. That's pretty on the nose, yeah. The liar being sinister, Duh. very accurate. <laughs> you know, so they're not all ironic, but some of them are. And we just see, yeah, this is. These are the current keepers of that secret. Exactly. And that is where our immortal, excuse me, not our immortal, it leads into a little ad for immortal X-Men, yeah. but that is where our Inferno ends. Mm-hmm. So what did we think of that and especially Moira's own little arc? You know, when I first read this, I was hoping, hoping that Moira would be uh, off the board for a little while. You know, maybe give her a little bit of time to breathe here, give her a little bit. Give the writers a little time to decompress after having her having the specter of Mora over every single book, you know, because sure. the the that's one of the problems with this entire line and the fact that it was so damn bloated and so disjointed at the same time is that writers couldn't really do there there were there were limitations. And I, I think writers can work really well within limitations, so long as the person who is able to move those limitations forward is interested in doing so. I feel like that's not what we got here. I feel like for this entire two and change years that this era was going, it was just a lot of line stepping. 
And it's like, can we mm-hmm. do this? Can we not do this? And it's like, well, well, Hickman's not interested in, in finishing this just yet. So uh, you guys just tread some water. Yeah, we're still charging four bucks, four to five bucks for these books. It doesn't matter if the people like them or not. Just get get crap on paper. So now, without her there, I, I was really excited that hey, we can maybe do some stuff. We can actually not have to worry about breaking any rules here or spoiling any bits of story or resetting the universe. Right? Or that resetting whole, the universe. That whole that no, specter was always thing there. over our heads is now mm-hmm. gone. Yeah, that sort of Damocles. So it's like here we are, a whole new era. Of course, that's not what happened. Uh, we, and we'll get to that on the other side, but um, I I really I wanted this to kind of just go on the shelf, and maybe we can set up some new status quos and not immediately revisit it. And we we, we kind of yeah. Did. So Moira, we took her from we thought she was completely pro mutant to mm-hmm. learning that she was maybe completely anti mutant in the sense of wanting the mutants to go away. I don't know what future world she thought she was bringing about. Yeah. By if she was getting rid of the mutants, now who's going to win? Is that okay now when the posthumans emerge? Yeah, cuz she's not yet uh picked aside. Right. Now, are are the mutants still going to be around when the posthumans emerge so that Apocalypse and everybody can defeat the posthumans or is more on the side of the posthumans? Is she on the mm-hmm. side of Humanity good old-fashioned humanity? Mm-hmm. How what world is she trying to actually get to? What's her What's, her, What's her nirvana? What's yeah. her paradisical end game that she wants to happen? Yeah. And I don't think it's very clear. No, it's. I mean, so many the, the motivations here are just all over the place. It's like, hey, if wiping out mutants is the goal, well, mutants are immortal now. So the, even if there are no future mutants, well, we we still have an endless yeah, supply. There would, of there would have to be some sort of side plan. And to we just brought in a million that. from a from a menth mm-hmm. that are that are on Mars. Well, there there are. More well, mutants than there've been in at a least long time. Now Moira's depowered and sent off, you know, into the On world. At least now she's clearly anti-mutant, right? Yeah, that didn't yeah. work. <laughs> it simplified things right very much there. Whatever she's for, we know what she's against, and that's anybody with an X gene. And and you know, you got we don't know how many conversations uh, Xavier and Magneto might have had with Moira over the years or months or weeks or whatever the hell it was. Mm. But like like we look back at Moira's lives. She's done weird stuff, right? I mean, she hangs out with Apocalypse for one. She draws off Magneto for another. She hunts down the Trasks in another. Right. Why didn't she track down Reed Richards? We know Reed's trying to do something to stop mutant them. Why didn't she hang out with him? Doctor Doom. Why didn't she hang out? I mean, the actual like brilliant minds of the Marvel Universe. No, she's hanging mm. out trying to track down Trasks, the people who created the Sentinels. Tin can robots. She's trying to, she spends an entire life tracking them down instead of going to Reed Richards. And if Xavier and Magneto put that block in Reed's mind after uh, event, uh, after X-Men plus Fantastic Four, maybe you'd think maybe they'd tell her about, mm-hmm. hey, there's a threat. This guy knows something. Yeah. So we, we've talked about, you know, if we could ever, you know, sit down over a couple of beers or something with Jonathan Hickman and he would actually answer our questions straight up. One question I'd love to ask is, so what was more, what was your plan for Moira's motivation all along? Yeah. And when did it change? And what made it change? Because it does seem that something, something you know, there, there were some zigs and some zags. Like, this can't be, this can't have been his plan all along. When he was writing House of X, Powers of X, he I can't imagine ending. he was thinking I'm sure that, he knew the ending already. He just wasn't allowed to tell it. Right. He had an ending in mind. Yeah. But he didn't yeah. have this ending in mind. So I, I'm one. curious, no. I'm curious what his, what he thought Moira was up to. I'm, I'm pretty sure she, w- he was thinking she is now pro-mutant. 
because I, I think that this I think this story Inferno was originally going to end with Mystique like bur- figuratively burning down Krakoa here, ruining the reputation of Krakoa. I think this is when we were going to find out that there was something hinky about the mutant magic meds. I think we were going to find out that the world was going to find out about mutant resurrection. I think a lot of that stuff was going to come out of here. And this was going to lead us to the, the final third act of the Hickman run. Mm-hmm. I think this was going to be like, okay, well, we're building up all this trust in the world. Okay. Now we're living in destiny of X where it's like, oh, not destiny of X, reign of X, where it's like, okay, well, we are a world power now. And then Inferno happens. It, you know, the reputation is burned down and whatever that next step was going to be, was going to be the world figuring out, oh, wait, <laughs> they, they, what's going on here? And that's how I think, you know, again, out my ass here. I think that's how this era was going to come to a close. It's just that the Marvel wants Krakoa around still and we got to keep it. I think that's a very reasonable theory and we will never, ever know if it's true. Never, ever. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well. So that, I think, is the last thing we want to say about Inferno. And we'll be back with some more Moira goodness when we talk about deaths, ex-deaths of Wolverine. Absolutely. Right on the other side. Okay. Welcome back, everyone. We have wrapped up our coverage of Inferno, but Moira's story is not done yet. We have some more to talk about here in The X-Deaths of Wolverine by Ben Percy. And yeah, he also was doing the concurrent X-Lives of Wolverine, and we'll mention that when it's necessary. But again, we're really here to to try to figure out what is going on in that head of Moira McTaggart, Mm -hmm. and we will learn more about that in this series. Now, Chris, you have some Mm -hmm. interesting ideas about what you think this series is and was and maybe was going to be. Yeah, I mean, that's one of my my things here is that I, I... postulate wildly about what I think original plans were going to be. And I apologize if that's a little off-putting to some people, but it's kind of just what I do. Um, I mean, it's the kind of discussion that you'd have hanging around in a comic shop, which I think is kind of what we're trying to recreate here. For sure, for sure. That is definitely And you can never prove yourself correct, but you know what? No one can prove you wrong either, so go for it. Also true. Also true. Now, I'm thinking that, uh, because we're going to get into... uh, Mora is going to be depicted early on in the series a lot differently than the, than how we last saw her in Inferno number four. She's going to be framed more as a victim, a, a hapless victim, a victim yeah. who's been put down or put put upon. At least in her own mind, for sure. It, well, of course, but also through the narration, it's just kind of the tone of the of the book here. You kind of sympathize with her for the first half of this series, which may be intentional. I just don't have that much faith in the subtlety of some of our writers. Part of me thinks that this was written, at least at the start, without a full understanding or grasp of what the final product of, of Inferno was going to be. I don't know that Mora's plan to end mutantum, to cure mutantum, you know, this extinction event she was trying to manipulate, I don't think that was known by the rest of the creators. I don't, hmm. uh, and again, theory, crazy theory, but I don't think that, I don't think that they knew. So this is being written in a very, very specific tone to start. And that tone, I mean, to say it changes drastically would be an understatement because it's going to get very, very dark at some points in this story. I also think that this was never meant to be a bridging, a bridging story arc. This was framed very much like Hoxpox, where the other books stopped. I mean, I think we got an issue of X Men that fell in here, and I think the last issue of Marauders might have fallen in here as well. But right for the but most overall, part, yeah, the idea was this was supposed to be the only thing going on. Yes, when these books the were being released. it was a weekly book, allegedly, <laughs> of course, supply chain and all that good stuff. But uh, this was solicited as a weekly comic, 
that was going to go for 10 weeks with nothing else really interrupting it. Just like, you know, Hoxpox was with a, I don't know if Hoxpox was weekly. I think it was. It was. Or at least it was supposed to be. Yep, it was. And it went 12 weeks. So six and six, this is five and five. I think possibly that this was always in the cards to be written, but I don't think it was supposed to be its own thing. I think this was supposed to be an arc in X-Force and Wolverine, maybe just an arc in Wolverine that they fleshed out to fit in the Morris stuff. But um, I don't think this was supposed to be the the straw that stirs the drink that it ultimately ended up being. At least the, the ex-lives of Wolverine would certainly make sense as a Oh, Wolverine 100%. Story. And especially with the fallout of it. The fallout of it was wiped under the rug right away. You know, the thing we were building to the entire ex-lives of Wolverine was wiped out. The same way everything's wiped out in this era, somebody was brought back to life. So I, I, part of me thinks that it wasn't supposed to be framed as something extra special the way that it ultimately wound up being. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we'll yeah, get Hox, into it. Cox and Pox were really, it made sense to go back and forth between the books. When sure. you read oh, them well, in that real oh, time, yeah. it, it was written oh, that yeah. way. It was put together like, you know, like a puzzle, like a clock. It it made sense. Oh, yeah, that they were two, throughout the whole, I mean, they were whole thread. sold as, yeah. as two books that are one, and it, yeah. it worked. Whereas mm-hmm. Lives and Deaths, they advertised it as being the same kind of thing. Yeah. But until that last issue, they don't interact at all. No, no. It's I mean, we just totally say, oh, he, yeah, the end. We, we can't have him come, can't have Wolverine come do a thing because he's busy. He's busy. Which, and, and I, I mean, mean, you could, that could happen in any comic book, right? Sure. He's, not, he's just sure. busy. Sure. And it wasn't even like the last issue of both miniseries. It was the last issue of Deaths. That's the only issue where the yes. where they where they came together. And it wasn't even like thematically there was a lot of crossover. They're really two nope. completely separate stories mm-hmm. that happen to be taking place at the same time. Yeah. And there's a version of Wolverine in both of them. That's yes. about it. So make it an event. Lives and Why death, not? it works. Why not? So ready to jump into issue number one here? Let's do it. It picks up right where we left off with Mario McTaggart. We kind of mm-hmm. and, and just for time wise, this came out like Three weeks after the final issue in Inferno. Yeah, it was real so quick. There was no other story really, story progress happening in between then. They're really supposed to be, this happened and then this happens, at least as far okay. as readers are concerned. Mm-hmm. So we see Moira went through that gate out of her no place and she winds up in Scotland. Yeah. And here, she quickly turns into an action hero star. <laughs> and she this, this is a commonality throughout this book, which... Again, I try to make it make sense to myself saying, okay, yes, in her 10th life and all the other X books we've ever read, she was a scientist, yeah. geneticist. And yeah, sure, she was hanging around with some mutants and getting into some trouble, but she was never, she was never she one never of the- never a frontline fighter. Team. Yeah, she yeah. was never a soldier. But now we know she had these other nine whole lifetimes in which, in some of them, she hung out with Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Some of them, she hung out with- all sorts Magneto. of military types. Yeah. So, yeah, it makes sense that almost like that uh, that movie, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, she has these skills that we don't know about. Yeah. These these crazy skills. And I can buy that to an extent, but it, it goes above and beyond in some places. So here, she hijacks a truck full of sheep because it's Scotland, mm-hmm. and she beats up- <laughs> That's the, all they have the, there. That's what I've heard. I know that Scotland <laughs> and New Zealand, I think they're pretty much the same place <laughs> in different hemispheres, as far as I can tell. I'm sure one we'll of them doesn't even really funny. exist. Yeah. So she knocks out the, the poor SOB who's driving these sheep around, for nefarious purposes, no doubt. And she uses the truck to uh, bust up one of the gate she just came through. Yeah. This confused me at first, but it makes sense. She doesn't want to be followed be right followed away. Down. Right. As soon as Doug leaves the no place, you know, uh, Mystique's going to come through with a dagger and kill her to death. Yeah. So, yeah. 
gotta gotta you know you know knock down the ladder you climbed up. So it takes out the gate, and then she drives off, leaving the poor guy behind. And she winds up back at Kinross Estate. Now Kinross, of course, being her original birth name, mm-hmm. so she doesn't want to be found, but she goes she went home right back to the place where you'd look for her. So yeah. I guess she she wants to find something. You know, some some place comforting, some place sure. where she can find shelter. But and, maybe and lucky for her, nobody's moved in in all the years that she's been gone. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of a wreck. No one's cleaned up anything. You can see, you know, plants growing through it, mm-hmm. rain coming in holes in the window. She has a sheep with her, so she can make a nice metaphorical "not going to be a lamb for the slaughter" kind of reference. And then she coughs. Chekhov's cough. It's like if this were a Victorian novel, she'd have tuberculosis. But it's 2022, so yeah, she coughs. She coughs up blood, and immediately she knows something really bad is happening. And she says, "What I can feel growing inside me now is more like a hot rage." Mm-hmm. And we find out very soon that this is lung cancer, advanced lung cancer. Yeah. And again, timeline-wise, this is it says later Kinross Estate, but it can't be much later. No, sorry, right? this not. is. Hours, maybe a couple. Maybe of, I mean, she still got the truck. Yeah. She still got the truck of the sheep and the sheep's. She hasn't been feeding. I don't know what she's been feeding the sheep the whole time. So this is this is right after she went through that no place gate. Yeah, and quick. she's already coughing up blood. Mm-hmm. So this is one of the huge questions here. Yes, she, we don't find out soon. She has cancer. Yeah, it works perfectly well as a metaphor, mm-hmm. right? That she has this rage inside of her that is making her make rash decisions. She wants vengeance over everything else. Maybe she should have you know, thinking about other things. But where did this cancer come from? Mm-hmm. And she do thinks we ever that get that was, answer? I, we do not. <laughs> Does it matter? It doesn't. No. It doesn't pay off. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It's another one of these questions that I mean, Colossus. Okay, we're still. He can still pay off sometime. Of course, right? But this this, one can. this goes what? away because spoiler: her lungs are no longer a thing by the end of the series. Yeah. So. Which is one of yeah. those reasons why I think Percy was not told where the story was going. Maybe he was shown those those first few pages where the word cancer was like meticulously dropped or, or uh, whatever word I'm trying to because think of. Because either she was intentionally given cancer, which mm-hmm. we know there's some dark things going on with like Charles Xavier and Magneto and folks. But why would they do that? Why That's would they do nobody's that? Nobody's best interest. Right. <laughs> if you leave, you'll die. Mm-hmm. The only one who comes through that well would possibly be Moira, right? Mm-hmm. Because she's going to be she'll come back, maybe. Yeah. Or is it a side effect of living in this weird tumor-like no place? Because they she's did been make living it. In? Uh, it was very conspicuously called a tumor-like. It was, place. and yeah. why would that happen? Or is it a side effect of a non-mutant living on Krakoa for long term? Or maybe well, she, her, well, she wasn't a non-mutant at the time. She was only sure. a non-mutant for the last couple seconds. Or yeah, or maybe like her. Maybe there's another part of her mutant power that we don't know about that was keeping this cancer at bay. Who knows? In story terms, it seems to make the most sense since it's on on Krakoa. As far as we know, she had no symptoms of anything. Nope, we never saw her cough. I mean, we could say that. Oh, if she did have symptoms, I can't go to the healing gardens because then it would blow the secret. No, we you know if we go back and rewrite a whole bunch of issues. We could put this in, but it was never foreshadowed at all. No, this is the only foreshadowing: cough, cough, blood on the hand. Yeah, yes, I mean, so, you could bring you could bring the healer in and then kill him right afterwards. <laughs> you know, they're, they're always around it. Yeah, and then just have that uh, little bit of missing memory. Sure. Feed the patchwork man. Of course, 
But What's yeah, that? this she has she has cancer, and mm-hmm. we don't know why, and we will never know why. Nope. But we go off two days later in Krakoa, and we see. Speaking of tumors, <laughs> uh, this thing pops out of the ground that is kind of yeah. like a tumor, kind of like an egg, kind of like a pod. It's gross, and uh, it's really gross and nasty. And Black Tom senses it along with everyone because it's a freaking earthquake. Yeah. Mostly it's, him. Yeah, you see like those Jurassic Park ripples, ripples in his drink. <laughs> Classic. Mm-hmm. And he goes off and he sees this thing come out of the ground, and yes. he asks the same question we ask: What the bloody hell is this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The veg and then we, is weird. The veg, yeah, the veg is the veg is back and <laughs> madder than ever. And now we go to Moira is in a hospital in New York City. McCarthy now, medical. How does a fugitive on the run, broke, who's dead, who's who's thought to be dead <laughs> in Scotland, make her way to New York City when she can't use the gates because she's not a mutant? Yep. And if she did use the gates, that that would set off all the alarm bells. But again, not something we're supposed to worry about. She, maybe, she needs maybe to be she at this. Boarded one of those balky boats, like from the beginning of Perfect Strangers. Bum, 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 <laughs> the wings of a- yeah, I, missed, I remember that. Uh, remember that that uh, series quite fondly. America or bust. Yes, I do remember the uh, the baby Bobka song they sang and then they did the, the, the dance of joy. Mm-hmm, yes, mm-hmm. Fresh that, that's a, that's our other podcast where we will recap every episode every of Perfect episode. Strangers. Yes. <laughs> Oh, stay tuned for that. That'll be on the that'll be on the Patreon That's for Patreon. sure. You gotta pay, pay for, for that. that. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but here we are. She's gotta get to New York City because they want to have her meet up with a specific doctor, Dr. Jane Foster, Ooh. aka Valkyrie, who used to be Thor and in the movie is Thor again. And maybe Thor again, Thor another now. miniseries. Yeah. But that miniseries is kinda out of continuity, maybe. Know. Who knows? But know. here she is with Jane Foster. And Jane Foster says, yeah, you got the cancer. It's real, real bad. And uh, Moira wants to look through and get some details. And she wants to know where this came from. She wants the magic mutant meds, which mm-hmm. don't cure cancer, but maybe slow but it down. Do. But don't worry about that, depending on what book you're in. You know, I don't and, think Jane Foster's a great doctor, though. She she doesn't mention once that Moira's got a warlock arm. Well, I think she's got a great bedside manner, and she she's seen <laughs> she some things. Make her feel weird, yeah. She's seen some stuff, and yeah, she knows that you know warlock arms happen in this they universe. Do. They and do. Sometimes you don't ask questions. <laughs> uh, so she is called off to the morgue, which actually does make sense because in her own book, which was canceled been, by yeah. now, it's where, where she had relegated, right? Yeah, she, I, I think it was because her superhero activities, because she is Valkyrie in in mm-hmm. her own book. We're kind of getting in the way of her, you know, showing up on time for work, that kind of thing. So she got like demoted, punished by being sent to the morgue, which also helps out her story because her whole Valkyrie thing is dealing with, you know, people about to die or people who just died. Okay. So it worked okay for the story. So it does make sense that she'd be called off there. But the lady who, who gives her this information is quickly revealed in a really gross panel to be Mystique. Mm-hmm. So Mystique is on the trail already. And tries to kill Moira to death, and they have a big old fight. And then Valkyrie comes back and kind of saves her by some time, destroys the hell out of this hospital. And Moira and jumps Moira out of like a fifth-story window. We don't know exactly what floor she's on, but <laughs> she's high. clearly on at least the third. We can yep. see in the background the roof of a nearby building, and she's above it. Yep. So yep. she's up high somewhere. So clearly she's going to fall to her death, and her story's done. Done. We won't have the to worry end. about her anymore. The end of Moira McTabbert. <laughs> But now we cut back to uh, Black Tom, and it turns out this pod 
is something we don't actually see that it's Wolverine yet, but it's clearly something all techno organic y phalanxy with claws that go snicked. So yeah, dumb. Mm-hmm. It's is some sort of future Wolverine and it kills Black Tom, leaves his leaves him dead on the ground and goes mm-hmm. off to do something. Is we true. head back to New York and we see that this is actually uh footage being reviewed by the CIA and uh Agent Dolores Ramirez, who mm-hmm. was kind of dead briefly, maybe, but not in this book. She was so shot worry in the about head. It. But, but it was the same writer. <laughs> she was shot in the I, damn head. I don't know. I don't know if that was ever explained, but she's definitely alive now. Explained. She's alive in a lot of books now, so <laughs> yep. she must have been wearing a, a bulletproof wig. Maybe, maybe, I think there's a few different versions of her, too, because they all act different, no matter what book she's in. In any book, she's, she acts she has a completely well, different personality. Again, I write that off as her being a CIA agent and her intentionally presenting a different personality depending on what she wants to accomplish. That's my no prize. she's a step for she's, – she's a five in one. That's, that's my no prize <laughs> idea for this. But they see footage of uh, Moira landing on top of a car as she jumped out a window. Mm-hmm. And again, action hero star, she is – the female Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger here. She is fine. She's still Doesn't wearing her, yeah. her her hospital gown. She runs off. And their system identifies her as Moira McTaggart, even though she was supposed to be dead. And a mutant. Well, it doesn't She's identify her database. as a mutant. Well, she, I mean, again, if there's a database of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, April O'Neil would be in that. To go back She's to that well again. She's, She's not, not a, a turtle, She's but she'd be, she'd be in ninja. the database of people associated with her, right? <laughs> She's not going to say, no, no, we, we don't want to know about her because she's not a turtle. You'd still want to track her. So it, it makes sense to me that she'd be in the database and that she would trigger whatever facial recognition this is. But uh, Ramirez says, yeah, well, we don't know what she's up to, whose side she's on, but whatever it is, we want to know about it. So let's send some people to you know go get her. Mm-hmm. And she runs off and she does all sorts of sketchy, suspicious things, buys stuff to change her appearance. Yeah, you buy hair dye and a pair of scissors at a gas station. That's uh, not while, sketchy. While wearing a hospital gown. While wearing a hospital gown. and Presumably a lock on. right next to the hospital that's right there because yeah. somebody would, it, eh, whatever. She needs to know, change her like, appearance. Like you go to Walmart, you buy some rope, a saw, some garbage bags, a bunch of bleach. They're like, yeah, go ahead. That's on, that's on my list for shopping today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, I get some clothes too. We don't really know where the clothes come from. I think they came from Boom Boom's closet, circa nineteen eighty-five. Yeah, we don't know if she rolls over a homeless person and takes her stuff. (laughs) Something not good happens, but she's clothed now. Disco. Yeah. We bop back to the no place, which has been left just Mm -hmm. the way she left it, however many days or weeks ago. Nobody's cleaned up anything. No one's gotten rid of it because we don't need it anymore. I want. I mean, this can't be happening while Charles and Magneto are dead. This has to be after they come back to life. Maybe. But I guess they have other things on their mind. Because well, Xavier and Magneto were dead for a week, and Mora was booted, so they, they still could be dead. They could be, but but timeline. This is timelines. going on concurrently with X lives, and we know Charles and is, Charles is there is alive for that. The hell yeah, you're right. So, I never thought of that. So I guess they just have too much else going on with uh, with uh, you know Omega Red or whatever. So they're going to get around mm-hmm. to cleaning up this place, but out of sight, out of mind. Okay, yeah, that's that. that not going to bother. But, yeah, but uh, and we don't even know how yeah. uh, Omega, Omega Wolverine gets in here, but he's – this is Omega Wolverine, right? Yeah, because right, yeah. he, he came he, – he hatched on the island, somehow gets in the no place and like sniffs, around sniffs her stuff so he can track her. Yeah, and I could never come up with a really cool name for uh, Omega Wolverine here. I, I like to try to like Portman do names on the show. Mm-hmm. I came up with like Tumarine, which, which I mean that's <laughs> – 
something. <laughs> if if he could swim, he'd be aquamarine, but no, that's not it. Yeah. So whatever, he's on her trail. We see her go into like a mall and bumps into some people. Like an Apple store. Yeah. Yeah. She some there you can tell there's some people after her, but they don't notice her. They they look at they go after some lady who looks more like the old Moira McTaggart yeah. first. Enough, enough that she can tell something is really up. She goes into this epiphany store, mm-hmm. which is it is the Apple store by another name. Yeah. And she gets a a very useful exposition dump from a hologram with is the founder saying, Hey, we're we have these prosthetic cerebrums. Uh, we do biotech synthesis, recording everything you you say, uploading it to the cloud. You know this this Basically is clearly going to pay off for real humans. Soon. Yeah, right. Which you know there was some tech a few years ago, like back when Google Glasses first came out. Mm-hmm. There was somebody selling like it was basically a brooch that would okay. take a picture no matter where you were ever every so many minutes. Okay, it was like recording your life. That can't you know, be so you could go back in time and if you ever want to know oh where was I that day what happened. You'd have all these pictures uploaded to the cloud. And then there was, you know, someone said, you know, sometimes people walk into public restrooms or go yeah. other places where you don't really want to pictures to just have be. A, you don't want a record of that. Yeah. yeah. So that that product got disappeared real quick. But that's what this made me think of, that there are some real world, much, Parallels, much smaller yeah. versions of recording your life to the cloud. Sure. sure. But this is where the, the uh, CIA folks find Moira and she goes back into super action hero mode again. Steals their gun, shoots them, beats them up, steals a motorcycle, and and drives off. Jeez. Which again, she has some skills we don't know about, but uh, this is this is hard to swallow. This version yeah. of Moira McTaggart. Absolutely, absolutely. It's almost like it's almost like the person writing this didn't know where where to start. Hmm. Could be. Uh, back on Krakoa, we just see uh, Jean, who's there doing her ex lives of Wolverine thing with the yep. professor and Wolverine. Senses there's another Logan on the island and thinks, well, that's weird because here he is right here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we get, we close on our first actual close up view of the Omega Wolverine. Well, I kind of call the Phalanx Wolverine because that's what he looks like. He's got the, the technogenic circuitry all over them. Oh, and he yeah. just says, I'm no one. I was never here. And we end our issue. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Moira is all over the world in this issue, somehow yeah. beating people up everywhere. Yeah. So again, we don't now, now her of course we're trying to talk about Moira's motives right now. It needs to be just survival, right? Everybody's Basically. survival and freedom, right? She doesn't. I mean, that's one thing she could do, right? She could go over to the X desk. She could turn herself into the CIA and say, "Hey, I know some stuff you'll want to know. Protect her." Yeah, she that would have been Very another easy. way to go. Maybe you could say she just didn't think about it, or she's just so panicked now. She wants to be completely on her own. She doesn't trust anybody. Yeah, she hasn't really had much opportunity to. Um to digest and you know to to try to figure out what her next steps are here so to make a a commitment or to just bottom line it like that that might be a little bit out of the out of the possibilities for her uh this was a uh, I, I enjoyed x lives better i think because that one was like unapologetically like you know insane it was a sure. crazy crazy premise it felt like you know i i really hate i think it's lazy when you when people like will see a comic and be like that's so 90s it's like, well, there's a lot of comics came out in the 90s. It right. wasn't just Rob Liefeld it's like not drawing feet. The, the 1960s weren't all flower children and hippies. Yeah, it wasn't. When you hippies. say it's so 60s, that's, that's your, what people in, think. And 70s was disco. You know, I mean, it's just the way it is. But I mean, this X Lives felt very much like balls to the wall 1990s comic, X Men comic. 
and it was fun. It was weird. It was just zany. I liked it a lot better than this one because this one just, uh, it just was so weird. I liked the way this one started a lot more than I liked the way it finished, um, which we'll get to as we work our way through. But here, there are so many, like we talked about more being an action star now, like so many convenient things to make this story even happen. So many additional layers. It's like the Dagwood sandwich here of the cancer. It's like, you, you don't bring up cancer if you're not going to pay it off in one way or another. You know, right. like if I write you a novel, 500 pages of me dealing with cancer, and then I get hit by a bus, I, what, what, what right. do you get out in, of that? Unless that's the point of, you know, some point was being made with that. And I think the only point here is that it, it maybe it, it gives Moira a deadline that she can't maybe, just maybe lie um, low. She has to put a plan in motion real quick. But then you got to like remember that like this same writer, Ben Percy, cured cancer with the mutant magic meds in one of his books. And in that little girl that was the uh the Jeff Bannister's kid, right? daughter. Yeah. Jeff Bannister's daughter, he cured her cancer. And here we are being told, "No, that don't work." Dude, you wrote it a year ago. I, mm, well, very very convenient stuff just to try to make stuff uh <laughs> to make stuff happen, I guess. Yeah, be- well, we know now they need to get to the end point of the series because there's a there's a place Moira has to be. You know, that's the place we see in the AXE event. Yeah. But okay, jumping into X Deaths number two. She's on the mm-hmm. run again. Now she's in Oklahoma. Okay, so yeah. she gets she stole the motorcycle. I guess she stole another car. I guess she's just been, you know, a, a cross country crime spree of, she's trekking. of stealing vehicles. I do love she- that in this gas station, she mm-hmm. asks the clerk for a burner phone. Yeah, that Can is I have probably a burner not what phone? you'd say. Can you, can you go to, to do us a favor and never go to a store and ask for a burner phone because right, you're you, going to be put on a list. Can you can you give me a crime weapon? I would like <laughs> yes. the most crime weapons you have there. Back Untraceable there crime weapon, please. One of those crime yeah. knives. <laughs> oh, yeah, so she's buying she's buying basically uppers. She's got energy drinks and caffeine yep. pills. And I think I'm not sure if she was going to rob this clerk, but he notices way too much about her, and she ends up yeah just. Knocking him out. Tie, knocking, well, not knocking him out, but like tying him up, mm. duct taping him up. And, you know, while you're at it, might as well clean out the cash register yeah, and heading off there. from there. While you're there. Yeah. So, so uh, she, she gets, calls Jane mm-hmm. to, you know, to find out about, uh, you know, it's like her old friend here. I don't know if they've ever met before last issue because more has been dead. But uh, what are you going to do? Uh, Jane's done some testing on the cancer and uh, was able to deduce that there was some floronic matter woven into it. Which makes more immediately assume or realize that uh, she probably contracted it, or its genesis was during her time yes, in the biome. In fact, this confirms to her that it was on purpose. She says that they did this yeah. to me. Which mm-hmm. again, I think this I think this proves <laughs> that it it's not just oh yeah she happened to get cancer because people get cancer. The floronic matter it is a Krakoan thing. Mm-hmm. Whether it was intentional or not, we never we actually know. find out. We certainly no. don't know here, and we I don't think we ever find out. But it's like you know. But Charles and Eric just died trying to save her. If they were going to give her cancer and just let her die, there you go. Just let her die. Yeah, very, very confusing. Very disjointed. So our next scene is we just see that Wolverine has made his way off the island. And just like Moira's been stealing vehicles, he steals a boat. So he's going Mm -hmm. from Krakoa, presumably to the mainland. Yeah. Not much to say about that, really. No. No, no. He, he, he doesn't kill anybody. Uh, he, you know, he, he just kind of. Well, well, he kills he does, one guy, right? I don't think he. Well, I don't think we see him kill anybody, but he does. 
He just let him We know there's a shark in the blood. water. Yeah. And he does throw them into the water where the shark yeah. just was. There and they're go. kind of so bleeding. So I props, yeah, I yeah. I they, he doesn't I, actually do it. Right. He's plausible deniability. He's got deniability. Yeah. But back with Moira, who's, you know, I, once again, that's who we're trying to figure out in this whole podcast. She is in New Mexico now in a, mm-hmm. in a cheap, Making cheap good motel. Making good time. And yeah. And she's thinking about, you know, how things did not work out the way she wanted mm-hmm. to work out. <laughs> and she thinks that Mystique is tracking her through this techno-organic arm. Uh, so she's got to get rid of it. Yeah. So we see her uh, drink a bunch of whiskey and put some iodine in the bathtub. And we don't actually see her cut off the arm. But uh, we, well, actually, we kind of do. In fact, we had a panel yeah. of uh, cutting off the arm. Mm-hmm. And then cauterizing it with an iron. Yep. Now I, I like you know this is like purposeful gore, right? I mean, this is a very very powerful scene, and uh, it really does play more to Mora as kind of being a sympathetic character. You know, uh, you, you feel for her here because she's certainly lengths, very desperate. Yeah, absolutely. She is just she's a lost soul here, just trying to to survive and to do this. I mean. Yeah, I mean, the last miniseries, somebody else cut off her arm. This series, yeah. she cuts off her own arm. She cuts off her own and, arm. I mean, I don't think whiskey works all that well as a painkiller. I mean, you no, know, maybe probably. some more psychic existential pain, but that's not it, what we're talking it, about it here. It might make you more, it might make the short dig easier. It might make it easier to make the decision. But, yeah, uh, but then also she's she does a whole bunch of things after this, which if she's that, you know, snookered to, to not God, feel any pain yeah. anymore, I don't know how that works out. But at the same time, she's being tracked down by, once again, Mystique in, in yep. secret, who Mystique is not very subtle about trying to shake down this motel guy for information. Yep. You think all her, her secret agent shenanigan past, she'd be a little better at this. A little bit but, more tactful. Yeah. Yeah. I guess she doesn't really care about tact. She just finds out the information and mm-hmm. she busts into Moira's room because she, she's tracked the arm there. This arm gets tracked all the time. Yeah. <laughs> she's reading these two series back to back and talking about them the same day. This mm-hmm. arm gets tracked everywhere but it's the same trick it's it's not moira it's just the arm and once again tracking the arm to the wrong place brings disaster and death because moira has i don't know how don't worry about it she made a bomb and this bomb goes off and kills mystique and presumably anybody else staying at this cheap hotel yeah you figure it's a it's a big old boom here yeah and the, I think there was a missed opportunity here because, like, Mystique goes into the room. The warlock arm is sticking out of the blankets. Mora should have made it a middle finger. She <laughs> should have put the middle finger up. And it's like, okay, there you go. Boom, you're dead. But no. Or or have have the techno-organic arm push the button to set off the bomb. Oh, there you go. That would work, There too. you go. Make it useful, See, for sure. We, sh- we should be writers. We should be. We should be. So, yeah, Mystique is dead. Mystique yeah. is dead. We just killed Mystique. I don't think she's died before. But she's dead now, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> Briefly. But uh, D- Destiny, back in Krakoa, I guess, picks up on this. Yeah. And also knows, oh, well, yeah, there's this, what she calls death himself. Yeah, Johnny this. Cash is walking around. What's going on? <laughs> she sees the uh, a vision of this Omega Wolf rank. Yeah. yeah we have, meanwhile, uh, we get a quick look in okay. at the armory in Forge's lab. And yeah, so this is where uh, he, he's talking to Jean Grey, and he's been checking out the pod that Wolverine came from. Yeah. And he can tell that it's thousands of years old, like much, much older than the island itself. Mm-hmm. So that just makes it more mysterious. It had a future Wolverine in it, but it comes from the past. So what the hell? Mm-hmm. And that's all I can really say about that, I think. Yeah, I think, uh, like, is this supposed to be like Terminator? 
Like, oh, like uh, very much. There's a lot yeah, of Terminator in here. Yeah, Terminator, Assassin's Creed, a lot. I of think them. mostly Terminator oh, Two, in fact. I've never seen a Terminator movie. I just know oh, the, okay. the, the the wider. Well, the, the, you basically the read it. Okay, <laughs> except he except he turns good in the end because oh, he's Arnold okay. Schwarzenegger and his career had progressed to the point where he has well, to be the hero. Yeah. Right. So we go back to the on fire motel, and maybe maybe not everybody there died because the cops and the fire department are there. Yeah, and so is Omega Wolverine, mm-hmm. and he, you know. Very much it, like the Terminator. He made it from the right Gulf of through. Mexico to New Mexico. The Gulf of Mexico to New Mexico in like 20 minutes. They both got Mexico in them, so they've got to be right next to each they other, get, right? They are probably right next to each other, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so he gets there. I get, Moira goes all over the world. He goes all over the world. Sure. Because the story has to happen. Hey, maybe and he can use, uh, maybe he can use the, the gates. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Or not. I don't know. He's been tracking the warlock signal. Uh, he walks into the fire. He walks out of the fire. Uh, he walks back into the fire and he, he logs himself into the motel's internet router Yeah, where I guess what he's doing here is he's seeing what all the guests have been viewing through the internet router here, through the, through the free Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. So you see some, some kind of sketchy movies going on, mm-hmm. see some, some kid shows, and you see some stuff about this Arnab Chakladar, who was the guy the in the hologram in the Epiphany yeah. store. And I guess he sees that Moira has been researching him, and that's mm-hmm. his that's his next crumb to follow. For sure. And on the way out, he he fights some more cops again. Doesn't actually kill anybody, but he fights his way out. And he's being observed by right nearby our heroine uh, Moira McTaggart, who is watching for some reason through the through scope, scope of yeah. a giant rifle that I don't know where she got where it. Where she from. keep it? I don't know where she. Where did she keep it? <laughs> <laughs> was it she must have got the same place she got the bomb to blow up. This is, but it, it doesn't look like an improvised gun. It, this looks like a. It looks like a legit gun. Yeah, yeah. It's it's maybe not not Cable's number one gun, but it's like his first backup gun. Yeah, it ain't that a, kind of thing. It ain't the Mark sixty nine Liefeld. No, it's the Mark sixty nine B. Yeah, there you go. I and do that's love how we, this future Wolverine doesn't have Wi Fi. Like he has to actually interface with a router. I think that's pretty funny. Maybe. I, I, I mean, it, it is kind of cool watching him, you know, actually stick the claw right into the router. Maybe it's like different megahertz, his uh, his modem. You know, I know. I, I've heard that if you want to hack somebody's device, having physical access to it is really a key, much more easy than going through some sort of through Wi-Fi thing. So Probably. I'll, I'll go with go. it. There but that's go. the end of our second issue. And, and Moira's on the run, and she's got this uh, Omega Wolverine after her. It's true. It's true. Um, it, it, it The story hasn't yet fallen apart. Um, that's coming, but uh, there the are some news. there are some questions here though. It's like Mystique was following this warlock arm, right? Right. Why did we get the scene in the lobby? It was unnecessary. If she's tracking this damn arm, go to the damn arm. I, like it seems like we were just thing. Pages. Yeah. I mean, because we saw in uh, Inferno this sphere that Magneto had went to the specific room exact that the arm was spot. in. The right. exact spot. First, it tracked really? him to Terra Verde, then to the mm-hmm. Orcus place, then through the maze of rooms. To the actual spot where the arm was. Exactly. So presumably, Mystique has the same kind of tech, you'd think, but for access to it, sure. Hmm. Yeah. So a little strange. Yeah, a little strange. Still kind of fun. Kind of fun. Um, a lot of things we have to just. A lot of things that have been previously established that we need to ignore for this to make as much sense as it as it ought to. Um, I mean, I think Jason put it well when when you said uh, that this cancer is just basically an artificial. Time, you know, a ticking time clock. Yeah. yeah, that's all it really is here because that's all it really can be because 
we do know the cancer is curable, and we and also it's know certainly that it's not, not physically affecting her so far. No, right? she she's, just coughs every once in a while. She coughs every once in a while. She coughs enough that she's coughing up blood. It's stage yeah. four cancer. And again, I'm not a medical medical professional, but no. I would think at that point, jumping out of windows and you know yeah. fighting your way away from CIA agents would maybe not, not be so much in the cards for you. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But pressing onward into extensive Wolverine number three. Number three. We're back on Krakoa, and mm-hmm. basically we see a psychic version of Charles Xavier recruit Laura Wolverine to come help deal with this future Wolverine problem. Yeah. And the weird thing that happens here is that he's talking to her psychically, right, through his Charles Xavier powers. Sure. Yet somehow Scout overhears the conversation. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah. right, uh, he says, we want, you know, what, who better to send in pursuit of a Wolverine than a Wolverine? And that bubble is the cloud bubble with the little lines on it that means yeah, this the, is just the, of the mind, the, psychic. Yeah. But then Scout jumps in and says, I think you meant to say Wolverines, which is a cute mm-hmm. enough line, but unless she has psychic powers we don't know about, yeah. So Xavier just that. like, is he like broadcasting this far and wide? It's like Blob is hearing, oh, okay, yeah, well, I guess it makes sense. A Wolverine would, would hunt the Wolverine. Now, what are you telling me this for? Maybe yeah. maybe he's so distracted by doing the ex-life stuff that anybody with that DNA gets contacted? Yeah, that'll work. I guess. I'll take that no prize every day. Okay, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> we're, at, we're at the Epiphany launch event, so we see, oh, Arnad Chakladar? Chakladar. Is that his name? Oh, yeah, so he's there in yeah. person, and the CIA have word that, oh, there's going to be problems here. They want to mm-hmm. shut him down, but he says, can't do that. The stock price will drop. So yeah. he walks out. He's going to walk out on stage and, and give his, you know, one more thing press conference. Mm-hmm. But before that can happen, you know, alarms start going off, bad things start happening because Omega Wolverine is here. He is. In, we're in California now, right? Yes. We are. We're in Northern California. Wolverine has stolen a police car. <laughs> And is barreling Which, through the window. I mean, we know. He, there was all those police cars out at the motel. Yeah. I don't know how many times he had to gas up between here and there, and we don't know what happened to the poor schmucks who tried to stop him at those gas stations, <laughs> but he's here now. Yeah, he made it. He made yeah. it. And so uh, they, they evacuate this Chakladar guy. Yep. And Dolores is here, here, too, by the way, despite being shot in the head a couple of times right. ago. And I mean, it, we, we learned that uh, Moira had gone to this place and specifically put her face in front of cameras. Mm-hmm. So she wanted to call the CAA here, I think is yeah. what that means. No problem. But it was her plan to get, to let them know, to call them in. Sure, they know it's going to be some sort of a trap, but Moira wants them there because Moira knows there's this crazy Wolverine around. Mm-hmm. So that also, they're there to kind of distract each other, I think. The Wolverine think so. and the CAA kind of get in each other's way. Chuck so with our evacuates on his helicopter. Yep. And Moira, who has stage four cancer, just cut off her own damn arm, is clinging one-armedly to the bottom of the helicopter for the whole flight. The entire flight. The entire flight. No one Mm -hmm. notices. No one says, hey, this helicopter is handling a little funny. Yeah, we're we're leaning a little bit. No, no, no. But yeah, so this guy's life is in danger, right? We've got to evacuate him. So they take him to his secret compound. They mentioned earlier he owns all this land in Northern California. Okay, so we're in the middle of nowhere, but they drop him off there by himself, right? Yeah, the like helicopter lands like in a volcano, yeah, it lands like. and then leaves. But you'd think that you know he'd have a bodyguard there, he'd have somebody. Oh, but yeah. no, the only no. one there with him is Moira, who let go mm-hmm. of the bottom of the helicopter, and now he's very much the opposite of safe at his safe house. 
and puts a gun to his head. And she very, very quickly talks him into being on her side now. Oh, yeah. And the only thing I can, I can explain this away is saying, well, he's at heart, he's a tech bro, right? Mm-hmm. He's, he solves technological problems. It's he, what he, it does, he does. Yeah. And, and she gives him the best tech bro problem he's ever heard of. Mm-hmm. So here we go. He has all the money he needs anyway. Why not? Absolutely. Meanwhile, we see Wolverine fighting everybody at the Epiphany place, all the other Wolverines. So that's yeah. Laura and Scout and Dak and Dakin show up. And they determine that it's not just a Wolverine-looking dude. They can smell, sniff him out, and say deal. that that is the real deal. He smells kind of old mm-hmm. because <laughs> we know he's lived thousands of years by now. But and now we see him for the first time, kind of, kind of showing some actual Wolverine personality. Yeah, the, right. The Up to now, he's been here, yeah. he's been a Terminator. He's been, he's been a robot, monomaniacal. He's yeah. been doing what he's doing. But here, I mean, I guess it's his family talking to him. Maybe that that does it. And they say he's not just hurt, he's somehow sick. Yeah. yeah he drops to his knees and he's like, I know how you all die, which, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a good way to end a scene, I suppose. Yikes. We go back to the not-so-safe house where they're working on a problem and Moira keeps coughing some more. Of course. And this turns out retroactively to be one of the most important scenes in all of this era of Mm X-Men history. Because what happens here is we see a robot arm that he Mm -hmm. gives to Moira. Yep. And I thought that he just made this arm for her because, you know, while we're at it, let's get your replacement arm. But I think what it is, is he has a robot already made, like Mm -hmm. 99% of the way made. I think he just takes the arm off of that robot and gives it to Moira. it on her. Yeah. And meanwhile, we see it looks almost like an SD card being shoved into the brain of this robot. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think what we're supposed to not know yet, but we will know at the end of a couple issues, is that right here, right now, he is uploading Moira's consciousness into this robot. Is that what you think is happening? That's what I'm thinking, yeah. And again, you would not know that from reading this issue in real time. No. But only because we see the ending. Yeah. That's what's going on. So we've got this other copy of Moira going into this robot, and exactly where this robot goes from here and how it gets where it ends up. We'll Just like them. everybody else in this book, they get where they have to go yeah. and don't worry about the in-between. Absolutely. And uh, now we jump to, of all crazy things, we just jump to a thousand years from now. Yep. X to the or, power of three. Yeah. Or at least the version in this timeline, which is yeah. slightly different than what we saw in the other timelines, which were other lives of Moira. In this one, we see Wolverine in the preserve. He is the last surviving mutant. But then Moira shows up looking all phalanxy. Yep, she is post-human now. She is post-human. So again, what is her motivation here? Because she zaps Wolverine with some big zappy thing. Mm-hmm. I guess I guess this is what wounds him and also infects him with the techno-organic virus. Yeah. So what do you think she's trying to do here? I think this is her victory. I think this is her... She was She killed the last mutant here, at least to what she thought. She thought she had finally killed the final mutant. Is she trying to make him into a post-human, post-mutant? I think she's trying to make him not a mutant. Whether he lives or dies, I don't think that that's uh, I don't really think that that's what she's worried about. Because what she does is she she injures him, but she also infects him with this, you know, circuitry stuff. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that this is just the story that Techno Wolverine is telling his family yeah. in our timeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's explaining his his past future. 
Right. That's our cliffhanger where it seems like he either died in the future or almost died in the future, but now he's here and now. He's come back to the past like a, like a Terminator of some sort. And, and that's our cliffhanger halfway through the ex-deaths of Wolverine. Oh so what God. do we think of that? It escalates here, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does escalate here. Uh, it doesn't go completely off the rails just yet. Um, this is a, I don't know, it, it, it's, it's very schemy. Um, it, it, the first time I read this, it took me back to the earliest parts of Hoxpox here where, you know, we were getting straightforward-ish stories, but there was always that sort of sinister undertone to it. Mm-hmm. Where here, I mean, we're basically getting an action movie, but there, there's more to it just under the surface. And of course, we don't know where it's all headed yet. We're supposed to think it's deeper than that, but a lot of things are happening. Again, like an action movie where if you try to analyze the reality behind a a Schwarzenegger action movie, you're Mm -hmm. watching the movie wrong, right? It's just, that's not what it's for. That's not what it's trying to do. You're just doing it wrong. Whereas here, I think it's trying to have it both ways. It's trying to say, don't ask questions about the action stuff, but also believe us that we're doing some, something deeper. Something that's leading to, yeah, something more uh, profound. Uh, this is kind of where the worm kind of turned, though, where, I mean, more uh, the sympathy for Mora kind of goes away. Like, in the first two issues of this, I, I think, like, part of that sinister thing in the beginning was, like, the corruption of Magneto and Xavier that, that, we, that we thought we saw. You know, he, they were being kind of controlled in a way. They knew this secret. Everything was kind of not on the up and up. Now. After we see what Moore is working towards, it almost flips the script a bit where where Professor X and Magneto are, are the good guys again. It's like the only thing they did wrong is that they trusted Mora. Who- now, that, that could be fascinating if it's done subtly, right? That well, who's yeah, the good it, guy, who's it, the bad guy depends it, on your perspective. It's Ben Percy, though. But it's not, yeah, but it's not done with that subtlety that such a story would, would need to happen. Yeah, yeah. And again, we saw what we saw in that lab was the beginning of Moira's 11th life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because we were told, you know, from Destiny that you'd have 10 lives only, Mm -hmm. maybe an 11th if you make the right decision. Yeah. Yeah. Which I guess the right decision was going to this tech guy. Post humanity. Yeah. Accepting post humanity, embracing it. Yeah, I suppose so. So we don't know that yet, but that is where Moira's 11th life starts. For sure. But now we plunge ahead into X Deaths of Wolverine number four, mm-hmm. and we start off in the near future, yeah. and it's near enough and yet far enough that Wolverine uh, is kind of gone gray a little bit, mm-hmm. and Forged so too, has yeah. Forge. Yep, they both got streets. some gray hair. Yeah, right. And we'd know nothing about that. Oh my gosh, that's why <laughs> this is not a video podcast, right? <laughs> Uh, and this is in some near future where things have gone wrong for Krakoa. They yeah. are the, the giant sentinels, sentinels are, are at the door. Presumably, pretty much everyone else is dead or scattered to the winds. These are the last two left holding out. And so, what they do is Forge has come up with this new Krakoan seed, mm-hmm. and it's a gateway seed. Except it's a gateway that could also go through time. Very, very helpful. Which if you can, if you can find one. Again, gateway scenes seeds are supposed to come in pairs. Yeah, they got to go right? somewhere and, and come somewhere. Right. Yeah. It's it's like the the portal gun in uh, that video game whose name the I can't portal. remember. There you go, portal. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, they, they, right. There's a beginning and there's an end. Yep. So, but this is just one seed. So I, I guess we're just I don't know if it's keyed to a certain time in the past. Who knows? Again, yeah. one of those questions we're not supposed to ask ourselves. No, no. But he he uh, so forge 
very helpfully gouges out Wolverine's eye with his thumb in a nasty old scene. Sticks that bean in there. Drops, which it must be a very long lasting, lots of preservatives of that bean because it's going to be there for a good long time. Yeah. And says, hey, Wolverine, when you figure out what went wrong here, how we lost it, come back and fix it. There you go. Yeah, why, why they couldn't just like go back in time then and there and try to like fight things out? Or I mean, if, if we're just going to keep repeating timelines anyway, why, why the hell not? I, I guess they know. only had one seed and they want to they wanted to get some more information before using it. Sure. And he is super patient about that, isn't he? Oh yeah, thousands of years, why not? Thousands yeah. of years it turns out. Cuz now we jump to the far future mm-hmm. and we're back at this fight where Moira, bizarre, you know, yeah. post-humanity Moira has just zapped Wolverine, I guess, left him for dead. Yeah. Which again, as an action hero trope that's super convenient that you leave somebody for dead when they're not actually dead. So she walks away. There's a silhouette scene where at first I thought she was walking towards him, but I think she's actually walking she's away leaving. from him. Yeah, she's leaving, waiting Which for the Which gives that scene a whole different perspective because if she's just out, now she's not there anymore. And yeah. unbeknownst to her, he can dig out that seed in his eye that's been yeah. there for, again, a thousand years. Mm-hmm. Which, okay, Wolverine can live a thousand years. I think, you know, if you buy seeds from Burpee, it says, you know, use by six months from now. Yeah, yeah. get them out this spring. Yeah. Right. But so he takes the seed out, plants it, and it makes a gate, and he goes through the gate. Meanwhile, Moira goes off to embrace the techno future of the Dominion. Yeah. But this this gate makes this pod around him, and that's the pod that ends up popping up in Krakoa. Yeah. But I guess because the pod was thousands of years old, maybe it overshoots, and it goes way, way back too early, but then it knows somehow to spin him back up. Right at this time, or was he supposed, or or was this always the designated time because of the uh, Mora, uh, the Mora posthumanity? Um, uh, this seems to be where the worm would turn. With it is, but we, we learned that the pod was a, was thousands of years old. Well, it, it was because it was so far in the future. It was thousands of years. It, it might have been on Krakoa from right now. Like like when Krakoa became the island where the mutants live, okay. that pod might have been there. But it just didn't take – it didn't do what it was going to do until thousands of years in the future. Mm. Okay. So all those – it's ages it. in the future. I mean, it's, it's timey-wimey <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Close enough. <clears throat> so we jump back to our collection of various and sundry wolverines. Yes. And they caught up to uh, Chakladar in his lab. But Moira is already gone. She is gone. And Wolverine gets shot in the chest with a, with a gun that would make Rob Liefeld blush. <laughs> He's, he'd it be is, like, it's a big ass gun. Big. Yeah. That's big. Yeah. It's connected to all these wires and it, it looks suitably, you know, technological because he's a technology guy. But sure. If if he was the kind of guy to have a giant gun like this in his lab, I'm you'd think he'd be that. the kind of guy to carry one around. So if a lady jumps off the bottom of his helicopter, it would be handy. But it seems like he'd be, you know, kind of have a little bit of an investment in protecting himself. So you might think there'd be some security. You know, some some lasers, some mm-hmm. some sort of protection. But no. So they really want to find out from this this guy where the hell Moira is. They've tracked they've tracked her here, presumably by by scent, yeah, all the way to California. Hey, they've got four Wolverines. They can do that, I guess, by their powers combined. And he doesn't want to tell them. He eventually does get convinced through a you know either a combination of physical threats and hey, if you don't tell me, my family's going to die. Yeah. So he's really been jerked all sorts of different ways. This, this, this has been a rough day for him. Not a good day. Not a good day. And he does say, oh, she's going back to the island. Yeah. And then Wolverine, like this is future Techno Wolverine, pops out one claw 
uses some sort of techno mojo to look into his brain, Chakladar's brain, yep. and then snicks one claw up his nose <laughs> into his brain. This is like the poor man's mind wipe, right? Yep. You thought what they did to Reed Richards lacked subtlety. Mm-hmm. But no, this is done with a claw. And yeah. it's left ambiguous whether somehow he knew just the spot to poke just to remove this one memory, or is he, he is this care. now the end of One Flew Over Cuckoo's Nest, and yeah. he's just a, a drooling nobody, and now, boy, you should really shell, sell short of that stock because <laughs> that, that company, Epiphany, is going nowhere because he's, long for he's off the board. Now, if, if, do I don't think know we how, see him uh, again, do we? I think this we, is the last we, we see him standing yeah, very stiff. With his, his face frozen and literal drool coming out of the yep. corner of his mouth. Subtlety so, is not the not key. I, I think he is just he's he's not putting out any more iPods here. Yes, and in order to uh, talk chocolate on to spill in the beans here, uh, Logan actually tells how his kids die, how his his fellow uh, you know brothers, sisters, daughters, and claws die. Uh, we find out that Dakin Dakin is killed by a sentinel. Scout is depowered and then killed by Nimrod. And Laura is captured, tortured, and experimented on for years by the post-humans, who ultimately harvest her skin and organs. Which is a, a super dark set of things to just throw into this yeah. movie comic book. Yeah, it's uh, just a, a way to get uh, this dude to realize the severity of the situation. I and guess. speaking of dark things in a goofy comic book. Oh, God. Yeah, I know this is your favorite scene. And dude. so what happened here is we need to get Moira back on the island. Because the final act of the story, Moira has to be on the island. She has to be there. But there's no good way to get her there. She's not a mutant. No. She can't use the gates. No. If she tries to rent a boat or a helicopter, she she's going to get far. picked up. She can't yeah. get there. So I think that was the problem is that Ben Percy got stuck in a corner. Maybe the scene got rewritten at the end where whatever he thought he was going to do, somebody pointed out. Yeah, that's even so. dumber think, than the other things you did. I think this was probably always in the plan, unfortunately. Maybe. <laughs> but what he does, we see a letter from Moira. Like an info page. Yeah. An info page. That's like an email from Moira to Banshee, who I guess they have a past, right? They have a very, very deep past, yes. They were lovers for quite a long time. So maybe it's not an email. It's like a, a text chat. Or maybe it's a voice chat. We got some a transfer. sort of a, anyway, some anyway, sort of communication. We got a back and forth. And he is all surprised because, hey, Moira friggin' McTaggart doesn't know about yeah. her. The love of and my she life. says, "Oh, I need." He, she says, "I need to get on the island. Come help me." Uh, and that's what he, she says. And then we turn mm-hmm. the page and we see Banshee coming through a gate onto the island. Mm-hmm. But we're getting Moira mm-hmm. McTaggart voiceover boxes, yep. and that's because, oh no, oh God, no! This <laughs> is Moira wearing Banshee's skin she and clothing. Him, yeah, or or just took out all the. Got it, somehow took out the middle bits enough for her to fit inside of him. Yeah. Which is super nasty. And also, you'd think this trick would have been patched, right? The Krakoan mm. Gates would notice this isn't just a mutant. This is a mutant with a human inside, a dead Deadpool mutant with a living human. Deadpool. Deadpool, again. But again, you'd think that would have happened once. And then, and then, then Sage would have upgraded yeah. the firmware. For sure. And it for wouldn't sure. happen again. But we need to have her on the island. And we need so here she is. It's such a difference between the scene in the motel where she cuts her arm off, where that seemed like gore for a reason, like gore for to really show you how important and how just how painful that scene was. Yeah, this was, was a, a plot contrivance. This was gore for shock. This was yeah. like either oh, look shock at that. It's or, Banshee's or face. Yeah, it's it's it was gross. 
And, uh, and again, those, it's the Cohen era, back. so we can kill people off and bring them back and don't worry about it. Doesn't it doesn't matter. We don't even need to check in with an editor to say, oh, is this going to affect anything in your book over there? And, you know, maybe he's going to do something in the other world or whatever. It doesn't matter because he's no. going to be brought back the next day anyway. Yeah. And, for better I mean, or worse. As, as Mora makes her way through the island here, she walks through different gateways without Banshee's skin suit on. She does, yeah. I'm not sure what's so, going on there. Does she, maybe is she carrying aren't, like his liver in her pocket? I maybe mean, these aren't gateways so much as just like like Star Trek doors that just open and close. And this, you're not teleporting. You're just going to the other well, side she, of the door. But she again, it shouldn't let her forge in. His armory. It should not let her into yeah. Forge's armory. I mean, it shouldn't even let Banshee into Forge's armory. No, it? no, certainly not. Shouldn't let anybody. That, that into should Forge's be like armory. off limits. That should but be again, just like it has to happen counsel. for the story to happen. Yeah. So she walks into the armory. And I mean, this is actually a trap here. Mm-hmm. So Destiny saw this coming. So I guess we can set up that they they're letting her into the armory yeah. because this is where they're going to, you know, the plan is like in Ghostbusters, get her. Yeah. But how, how stupid is she? <laughs> like, like well, wait, she I stepped through a portal and it desperate. worked. How did that work? I, that I don't know. Yeah, don't think about it. Actually, no, we can't. We can't. But she sees uh, the actual demutifying gun sitting in front of her. Now, yes. I can see if this is a trap, why not put out a replica, right? Something she can't sure. do any harm with, but sure. will be will lure her in, but she can't actually do the she bad stuff she's going to do. the do. damage. Yeah. Right. But no, she's the actual gun, and Charles Xavier, who again is very busy over in X-Lives, also sends out dying. a- he Also dying. He was stabbed died. in the shoulders at the end of the uh, last issue of X- and, X-Lives. And we see that his, his psychic self has a, <laughs> a, a shoulder wound, so she's, he's like appealing to her, hey, oh. I think he's just trying to distract her here. Could so he's trying to distract yeah, her so that Forge, argue. right, because then Forge her. can sneak up behind her and yeah. grab her, but then she's an action hero with, <laughs> now she has two arms because she's got the robot arm again. <laughs> yep. She still has a stage four cancer, uh, but she manages to beat up Forge, no problem at all, even though he has the initiative in D&D yeah. terms. Yeah, and he doesn't and, have stage four cancer, and, and he didn't just fall out of a building. No. Yeah. But she uh, she zaps him with the demutifying ray, so I guess he's off to the crucible. Or maybe does he just have to walk into that thing that Scarlet Witch made and walk back out? I don't know. I don't I know what the, the there might be the, some sort of perverted helmet that bites the top of his head off eventually. So maybe maybe maybe, maybe the problem solves itself. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's uh, I actually like that. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah. So then she managed to grab some exoskeleton armor that's just laying around. Again, if you're luring here on purpose, yeah. maybe lock that away. But for she sure. gets right into this armor. That's It's a lot like the uh, the gauntlet that Domino had for a while. Maybe still has oh, yeah, She still does it. She still she has loves, it. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, she's wearing this organic mecha, basically. She's and stepping like right out. like lost a few pages here. It's like all of a sudden she's just in the armor. It's like we, <laughs> we, we just get to her in the armor. We don't see much. It feels very, very... Uh, yeah, she's home. wearing the armor. She goes outside and she finally meets up with the Omega Wolverine, yep. who double snicked stabs her in the chest through the armor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks like it hurts. It's very mm-hmm. bloody. But before she dies, she zaps him with the demutilifying gun, yep. the neutralizer gun. So they've, again, it's mm-hmm. like a Quentin Tarantino thing. They both kill each other. This is like the end the of, instead blow. of Pulp Fiction, this is, uh, uh, what's the one with Mr. Pink in it? Mr. Reservoir, Reservoir Dogs. Dogs. Yeah, yeah, this is Reservoir Dogs where they all end up shooting each other in that one scene. Mm-hmm. So he stabs her, she zaps him, and it doesn't kill him, but no. the only thing holding off this techno-organic virus this is that she gave slash will give him 
a thousand years thousand ago years from later. now. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, no more healing factor. Now that takes over. Now yeah. he is full on, we are phalanx. Mm-hmm. Like, we are farmers. Da, 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 da. But he's the phalanx. So whatever was helping him control himself is now gone. Yeah. So now and that is our end, cliffhanger to this book. Yeah, we end the issue with Wolverine as a bad guy, which is the cliffhanger we got like in half the X-Lives books too. Like when yeah. Omega Red would take over his body. It's like, how many times are we going to use this? Now, the visual here is pretty cool because he does oh, yes, start to is. go all warlocky. His arm For gets sure. all skinny. His face changes. It looks, you know, again, pretty chemistry. Cool. Very, yeah. very cool. And we see Moira apparently dead on the ground. Maybe not quite dead. We Dying. see Destiny there kind of cowering in the corner. Mm-hmm. And, you know, stuff's starting to hit some various fans. Yeah. 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 When I, when I first uh, read this one, I, I said that it read kind of like if Chuck Austin wrote an Ultimate book. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you're familiar with Chuck Austin. I'm familiar with the man's reputation. Okay. Well, it, he earned it. <laughs> he earned that <laughs> reputation. Uh, he uh, He's written stories where um, where Angel and Husk went up into the sky, banged right there in front of uh-huh. her parents. Okay, I've heard this story, yeah. Yes, and uh, she was always, I mean, she was always treated as though she was like very, very young. So he took her up yeah. there and they banged right in front of her parents and nobody really had a problem with it. Uh, he's also the one who had uh, the exploding communion wafers. Okay. In the Nightcrawler story. He so he likes the, the shock Draco. value for the shock value. Yeah, he's the one who had a She-Hulk bang juggernaut. Um, Sensing a theme here. Yeah, so if you have that, and then you put that in like in an Ultimate comic, where like you have Hank Pym, instead of smacking his wife, spraying her with bug spray. Uh, or, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or having uh, the blob eat the wasp, and having, him, having her, him hold half her body out of his mouth. It's very extreme, this, uh, this Banshee scene. It feels uh, it feels a little much. Um, you know, we can think back to another story that this same writer wrote, okay? X-Force yeah. number one, Domino, they were taking little bits of her skin off so they could uh, access Krakoa, the Xeno yes. people. Again, Why? another time where they should have learned- That should hey, have been a failsafe, yeah. Right. Th- th- people Upgrade. can do this. This can get through our security. Let's patch that. Yeah, but here instead of just doing something like that, I mean, they she, they could have had more. Uh, if if all it takes is a little bit of skin, knock Banshee out, cut off one of his fingers. No, no, we need the shock value. We need to have her harf just scoop his organs out and and like, what did she go in his mouth? I mean, did she like stretch his mouth open and climb in? Oh. Was it like the Wampa in Star Wars? Did she just cut his belly and <laughs> climb in? Or uh, or like uh, Men in Black, where that alien took over that one guy. Yeah, it's just very, very gratuitous, and for only the sake of the shock here. And, and it's one of those moments that it's going to be very difficult to walk back. But this is an era that's full of moments like that. It's going to be really hard to walk most of this back. It will be very, very curious to see when. I mean, eventually this era has to end. We're going to move on sure. to something else. Sure. It's, I mean, now it's a lot of fun to speculate on what exactly they're going to do, but it's going to have to be a, a pretty thorough cleaning off of the blackboard. All right, so we are almost done, True Believers. We have one more mm-hmm. X Deaths of Wolverine, and after we finish reading this, we will fully understand Moira McTaggart's motivations from soup to nuts and 110%. All- mm-hmm. Of course, because otherwise, <laughs> what were we even doing this whole time? What was the point? <laughs> so we start off. Because last time we left her just stabbed, presumably to death by Wolverine. As she lay down. We thought she was dead on the ground, but she wasn't wasn't quite dead yet. She was only mostly dead. Yeah. And we see basically her 
her reliving her not her all her lives because that would take way too long. But she's yeah. having her her deathbed vision. A little bit. And what we see first is that park bench visit with Professor X that kicked all this off. We can't seem to escape that. Right? She's still wearing that kind of poofy hat. Blossom hat. She still had the blossom hat, exactly. Mm-hmm. Still wearing that, that green dress. But uh, this time she walks up to him all all bloody and says, blank you, Charles. Yep. So <laughs> you can see that this wonderful vision, whatever her vision was way back then, it has not worked out according yeah. to plan. Yeah, and she then- She calls him a coward. She calls him a traitor. She says she wishes they never even met. Yep. We cut back and forth between her vision and her dying in the- exoskeleton armor there in the yeah. current world. And then we get a really cool page of, I suppose this is the moment of oh, her death. Yes. Yeah. And in, in the background, we get, again, very much like a Krakoan version of stained glass. We see her, all her other deaths, yep. right? This is her 10th death. This, this this book is called The X Deaths of Wolverine because they had to match it up. X Deaths of Mora because no one right, that. Would, that. Yeah. Well, plus it would have been a the bit casual of a spoiler. Way. Yeah, it's also true. True, two ways. There's the there's the there's the, the marketing uh, way we get an excusable uh, way and the less yeah. excusable way. But we see all the time she died, you know, from dying in her her, her bed as an age. Yeah. The first time before she knew anything was up. Her, we isn't see it her, ironic death in life too? Where yeah, that was when the down. plagues yeah. blew up. We see her being burned to death by Pyro in life three, that famous death, mm-hmm. all the way through. Uh, Two other times she was stabbed to death by Wolverine. So yeah. three out of ten Moiras die by being stabbed mm-hmm. by Wolverine. That's that's statistically significant, I'd say. It is. It is. Yeah, more and yet, now, far away. Uh, a lot of a lot of interesting stuff here. Yeah. I mean, if you again you take this page and you show it to somebody before well, if you show somebody before they read Hox Pox anything, they would have no idea what the hell they're looking at. But if no. you show it to them and say, Hey, these are all Moira McTaggart, you might get some interesting looks. You might. You very well might. But she's dead and buried, so don't have to worry about her ever again. Never, ever, ever. So our other issue here is we have the Omega Wolverine, you know, fully taken over by the techno-organic virus stuff, running amok mm-hmm. on the island, and its goal is to get to one of the cradles, because yeah. it's not just an enemy, it's a virus. If it can upload itself to the cradle, which, as always, has no security on it, because why Never. would it? <laughs> Then the no game's over, right? Or then no. the mutants have lost. The whole island's taken over. Done They're now. dead meat. The, that that techno future is the techno present, and they are techno screwed. So they got to yeah. stop that. So the various Wolverines, you know, try to do that. Try to at least slow him down a little bit. He's all out of control. And then Sage, somebody remembered, hey, we've had this Cerebro sword, which looked like it was going to be important for X of Swords, but wasn't. Yeah. No. Looked like it was going to be important several other times, but wasn't. And again, no. is really just, it's a broken Cerebro helmet that's been that squished together squished. by Magneto yeah. to make it look like make an it the new moon, sword, right? right? Make oh. it the new moon? Now, that's the Watcher. That's, oh. a whole, that's a whole different crazy event. Oh, okay. Oof. Okay. So it's never really done anything, and there's no reason no. it should do anything because it's just a broken computer. I, I mean, I'm in, I'm in my basement right now. I have several broken computers, basically with an arm's reach. Mm-hmm. They don't, they're not good for anything. No, but no. I, Sage, I like to file down the edges of my laptops and just and run them into things. But Sage nice thinks Sage thinks that somehow this is the key to their salvation. Oh well, sure. We cut back to the fight. The fight goes on for a while. It looks pretty cool, but it's just your basic fight between yeah. between Wolverines. They stab each other. They drop boulders on each other. They Dakin get loose. Says, from each I hate other. you, Dad. It's, it's, <laughs> I never asked to be born. He does. 
Yeah. yeah. And then the actual Wolverine shows up, meaning da, the da, da, current da. who just finished what he was doing over in X Lives. Mm-hmm. And he proves it by showing the broken watch that was supposed to be symbolic over there. Yeah, because one of the Xavier ancestors gave it to him. It's it's one very, of those things that was supposed to be deep. I yeah, think. very similar to the Cerebro Sword. It's supposed to be deep and symbolic, but I don't think it really no, hits as hard as thing. it's supposed yeah. to. But he shows it to us on panel to yeah. prove that these stories take place at the same time. And, and he quotes and, uh, John Cena's theme music. Your time is up. <laughs> my time is now. You can't see me. My time is now. That's very, very strange. And then he joins the fight against his future self, which, okay. I mean, that's a very X-Men comic book thing to do, mm-hmm. to fight your future self that's been infected by a tech-organic virus. Why not? So why not? Uh, meanwhile, Sage does some programming hoodoo yeah. and makes this sword into something that can undo a techno-organic virus, which has yeah. that's something that would have been super convenient Various times in the past, right? For sure. For but sure. if you could just poke somebody with a stick and get rid of a techno-organic <laughs> virus, why not? I think it? there's several several runs of comics that could just have gone away, but never happened. You didn't have it then. Didn't have Sage do her thing then. She's thought of it now, uh, and I Ben Percy has like, to make a joke. <laughs> I do love how she like dramatically lets her hair down for this. Like it's <laughs> like very right. very dramatic. Computer stuff, hair up. Yes. Stabbing time, hair down. Hair down. That's mm-hmm. how you know. Just like Conan. <laughs> but yeah, so Beast asks her, where are you going? And Ben Percy had to make this joke. Oh, Somebody should have talked him out of this joke. Some editor, Jonathan Hickman's not around. It's not his fault no, anymore. But no. she says, I'm a living computer, aren't I? Holding this giant glowing sword. I'm going to try to, in italics bold, hack something. <laughs> oh, we get it, Ben Percy. Mm. She's going to hack something. It's a pun. So we're back to the fight. Wolverine on Wolverine violence. This time, the other Wolverines are just looking concerned and running away. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, just one-on-one, Wolvie on Wolvie, until Sage joins the fight with the sword, and it gets knocked out of her hand real quick. But thankfully, our Wolverine grabs it, stabs the bad Wolverine in the chest, immediately makes all the techno-organic stuff just go away in a big green explosion. explosion. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> it's got, I mean, it needs to be more dramatic than just... A computer turning off. I guess. Right? It's, this is the culmination of two whole comic book miniseries that oh, all the other books want to hold for. You got to have an explosion. You, gotta, you need an explosion. We, we and, also, before this, we get a, we do get some info on how, um, all the, uh, how some other X-Men die in oh, uh, yes. Omega Wolverine's uh, lifetime here. We find out that Marvel Girl was poisoned by Gorgeous George, the friggin' nasty boy. Well, that's not, that's, that, you don't want that on your tombstone. Uh, Nightcrawler survives the fall of Krakoa and lives into old age, but then gets killed by a sentinel because, of course, Magneto gets a nanite infection in his lungs that kills him, and Professor X gets locked into the Cerebro network and is then eventually mercy killed by Mora. And, uh, Which, his, again, his much like how all the Wolverine family died or that previous issue we were just yeah. told about, it's just kind of dark for the sake of dark. Because, I mean, they, they even make a mention that Professor X's body was kept on a pike until it rotted. Yeah, just, uh, what gr- just gratuitous. <laughs> what does that add? Completely gratuitous. Nothing. This is definition of gratuitous, but yeah. oh well. Never yeah. happened because Wolverine kills the other Wolverine and the techno-organic present yeah. does not happen. We do get to see it. the adamantium skeleton yeah. sink into Krakoa so it can look mm-hmm. even a little bit more like Terminator 2 that you haven't seen, but... <laughs> Trust me, that's what this is out of. 
The only way I'm there's going to sure. be more like that is if the skeleton makes a thumbs up sign because that's what happens <laughs> in Terminator 2. Yes, in that one, he, he sacrifices himself because he doesn't want the bad things to happen. He sinks into a pool of molten metal and uh-huh. as he goes under, his thumb is oh, the last God. thing to go down. It's That's great. I mean, I'm sure you've seen the animated GIF around. Of course. That's what, yeah, that's what yeah. it's from. That's from Terminator 2. Oh, lordy, lordy, lordy. And now the story's done. We get our kind of denouement of just mm-hmm. going around the island. Charles wants to get his drink on. I think that's the first time we've seen that. He's yeah. had a really rough couple of miniseries. Not a good, not a good few days. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's not wearing a Cerebro <laughs> helmet. That's true. Which we very rarely see him out of, out of costume there. He's kind of all banged up and bandaged up and, and knocking back some drinks. We get a, a quick one panel, basically advertisement for the upcoming, at that point, Sabretooth book. Yeah. You know, just kind of a hint, mm-hmm. hey, there's some bad things happening. We get a little supposed to be deep chat between Sage and Beast about, you know, he says force is what's important, might makes mm-hmm. right. Again, very much in concert with what his character has been. And Ben Percy I've, books. I found that these scenes play so much better if you have uh, if you have Beast using Frazier's voice and Sage using Lilith's <laughs> voice from Seinfeld. <laughs> Not Seinfeld. Cheers. Mm-hmm. It works. Or Frazier, Yeah. Yeah. yeah and of course, really I mean, Frazier did play Beast in one of the movies, so that is perfect. He did. Oh yeah, Kelsey Grammer was the voice was the voice of Beast in several of the X Men movies. Did not know that. I'll, that's like another that. link I'll have to send you. I'll be busy there this afternoon. <laughs> but we're not actually done. We thought we were done. This feels like. You know, roll credits. <clears throat> yes. Uh, no, we get, if we have well, it was roll credits, scene. we get yeah. the post credit scene. And we see we're in a cemetery, conveniently not far outside right of outside the, the Epiphany building. Yeah. It the looks camp- like an old the campus cemetery. Graveyard. Yeah. And we see a headstone that says M. Kinross, which mm-hmm. is Moira's original name. Yep. And then we see bursting out of that grave. We're not in Terminator anymore. Now we're in like a, a Freddy. Or a, a you know a, a Halloween or Friday the Thirteenth sure. movie, we see the robot hand come up out of the grave, mm-hmm. and then the robot rest of her, and we see this is the new Moira. Yep. She said, "We get the thing about the swan song singing right before they die." I hope you're all looking forward to my swan song as the robot comes out of the grave. Now I have questions. <laughs> so this, I guess we can say, is the robot that. Was in Chakladar's lab. Chakladar, yep. How she got buried, I couldn't tell you. Right. We're in, we don't know exactly where this is. We're outside. Maybe it's the same campus where the Wolverine attack on the announcement was. Maybe there just happens to be mm-hmm. a cemetery there. Right there. Probably on doesn't matter. Yeah. Why is there a headstone there with her name on it? With her name on it. Yep. So what I'm picturing is sometime between Moira leaving and the other Wolverines arriving. Mm hmm. This robot was fully uploaded, got up, walked out the door, made its way to this cemetery conveniently outside the Epiphany headquarters, Mm -hmm. maybe kicked somebody out of a grave, maybe dug dug up a corpse, scratched (laughs) out the old headstone, wrote her own name on the headstone. Fell into the grave. Climbed into the grave, (laughs) put the dirt on top of herself. It says, I gave myself 10 days. If my assault on the island didn't work, if Forge's gun failed to repower me, oh, because that was a thing she tried to do, but that doesn't work. He said it was a one-way trip. Yeah, polarity only goes one way, which I have other ideas about that, but I'll hold (laughs) off on that. So she still had one more move, and that's when she burst out of here. So where the grave doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. The grave, the notebook, her getting from place to place, so many things in the series just, and these past two series don't actually make sense. No, they don't at all. 
No, but it's, it's definitely you know this, those things you got to turn your brain off for. It's just accept. We it. needed to get this robotic Moira. I don't know if when he wrote this, he knew that she was going to be a part of this big summer event coming up, and her her status it. quo was already determined. I doubt it. <laughs> I don't know that anybody knew. But this is the Moira that we see in our Axe event. This is the one who's working yeah. with Orcus. This is the mm-hmm. one who gets disguised or controls the body of MJ in the gala. Yep. This yep. is the Moira who goes to talk with Druig and watch the mm-hmm. play-by-play as the Eternals attack both Mars and Krakoa. That is this Moira. So mm-hmm. here's where she comes from. How she got there, maybe don't worry about it. <laughs> but yes. my other thing, if imagine Forge's gun did work both directions, mm-hmm. would that work on regular humans? Could you have a gun to turn humans into mutants? If they had the X gene, I suppose, uh, like a dormant X gene. Uh, mm. I think I think maybe that would be a, a fun way to get out of the whole humans versus mutants. Well, they, they, they do have instead like, uh, of instead of making depowering all the mutants like Moira mm-hmm. wants to do, make everybody make all the humans a mutant. You're not killing off the humans. You're just yeah. making them all one you're of us. Them. Maybe that's they they, maybe that's they, the next reboot. They have played with things like mutant growth hormone stuff like that, like yeah. uh, yep. drugs to where you can temporarily have or exhibit mutant powers, or I don't know, maybe permanently in some situations. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, they have played kind of with that. That was just a little side journey my mind took when I started reading about her <laughs> trying to re-empower herself with the uh, the the gun with the pistol. Yeah. So now. So is is Moira's motivation clear to you now? Does it all make sense? Does it all hang together? Oh, totally. Crystal clear, isn't it? <sighs> Again, that dream of, of having Jonathan Hickman and I guess, you know, hey, have Ben Percy there too. I'll, I'll buy sure. all the beers yeah. and hear them both talk about what the plan was at different times and when it changed. How much and who told them they had to change yeah. Right. <laughs> Would be <laughs> fascinating. You know we will never know. But we do have our Moira to bring us forward into our event. Is there anything else you want to say about Inferno or X-Deaths of Wolverine before we talk about what's coming up next? Um, uh, one of the things about X-Lives and X-Deaths is that they both ended with very, very unsatisfying fight scenes. Um, all mm. the build, all the nuttiness, and it, like, I don't want to say that this never felt like a comic because it was it was unabashedly a comic, but yes. it wasn't like just a, a fighty, fighty comic. Um, and here we get... It was in a high-concept comic. Allegedly. Uh, in, in X-Lives, we had uh, Wolverine fighting Omega Red at the end, which, you know, spoiler alert, Wolverine won. And then in the very next issue of X-Force, Omega Red's brought back to life. So all that build for nothing. And here, I mean, we have Wolverine fighting the Phalanx Wolverine. And it ended fairly anticlimactically. I mean, I guess it had to. But um, yeah, it really didn't do much for me. I was kind of hoping for... I don't know what I was hoping for, actually. It just that's, uh, that's similar to a common complaint about the Marvel movies in that they all end with a big CGI battle okay. that is not so interesting, but they all have to happen that way, and then there's a big ray up into the sky, and then mm. the villain loses. Oh, that sounds wildly interesting. But so we, we have, have Moira where she is. So our, I guess we're good to talk about what's coming up next, right? Sure. Let's hit it and get it. Yeah. So that wraps things up for our- our walk through this 10th life of Moira X and trying to figure out what the heck she was planning the whole time. And if you think you have it all figured out, for God's sake, please, please tell us because we would us love know. to know. Yeah. Wild theories, very much encouraged. Yes. That's all we do 100%. here. But coming up next week, we do have two A versus X versus E Judgment Day tie-in books coming out. Ooh. 
We have yeah. the first one is X Men Red number five by Al Ewing. Now, when we remember, what's happen there? we left hmm. off with Mars Araco being, we don't know exactly That's how it. devastated, but really badly devastated by our, you know, formerly oh, yes. locked away Eternal yeah. Oranos, who just likes killing dudes. Mm-hmm. So I presume we're going to find out more about that. What actually happened? Uh, did Storm survive? I'm, I'm sure she must have. Probably. Did It sure seemed like Magneto died. Does he get brought back kind of against his will? Mm-hmm. I'm sure he will. But how does all that play out? I'm kind of curious about that. Absolutely. What's the other book? Our other book is Immortal X-Men, also number five, written by the event architect himself, Kieran Gillen. And I'm going to, well, what do you think was going to happen? What do you predict might happen in that issue? I think that's going to be mostly uh, Quiet Council reacting. Uh, I think that's probably the the, the safest bet because- I mean, they were there was quite an attack on uh, on on you know space and Earth. So yeah, um, they were psychically attacked and they were mm-hmm. physically attacked, and now all these giant hex monsters have risen out what of the I, ocean. And what I, I hope guess are going to go get them. What I hope it isn't is a retelling of that scene where where they're attacked psychically. Oh yeah, we, we that happened. was a cool scene in that first issue. We don't need to don't see want to see it for twenty two pages. And I don't actually know who the point of view character is going to be because in that book we've had a different quiet council oh, yeah, member, different narrators, yeah, narrating and be, you know insight each time around. So I don't actually—I'm sure it's been revealed in the preview, but I don't—I don't tend mm-hmm. to read those. So I haven't even looked at the cover. So I we'll be—we'll be surprised together when we find sure. out. Sure, sure. And you know, odds are pretty good that we will see Moira in her eleventh life, which mm-hmm. is also part of the same timeline as her tenth life, mm-hmm. on panel mm-hmm. once again. Doing her villainous things. At least now we know. Currently, her motivation is get those damn mutants. That's right? It. She's not pro anybody. She's pro anybody who is going to go stick a fork in a mutant eye. That's all she needs. That's a fact. And that will be one week from now, Bo. Mm-hmm. So until then, Chris, uh, remind us where we can hear more from you and and learn all about that hentai helmet you've been talking about. Oh, the hentai helmet. Yes, a tentacled helmet that uh, does nefarious things and. Kills Silver Age characters in silhouette. I don't know if you're reading X-Force. Um, and spoilers, uh, well, I guess spoilers for an old book, but uh, semi-old. Havoc and Polaris killed in single panels in silhouette. What? You're not, you're not really selling your podcast, Chris. Sell your podcast. Sell it. Oh, oh, yes, yes. There are good things about it, too. I tell you. I tell you. Um, we talk about a lot of things here. We go in-depth with every single issue. So if you want, like, I don't know, 10 hours of uh, X-Lives and X-Deaths, I got it over there. If you want about six hours of Inferno, got that over there too. Um, I don't know if I'm actually selling it still. I don't know. <laughs> but there's plenty of stuff over there. Plenty of speculation. Always an invitation for discourse and for discussion. Love sharing theories. And as Jason said, the wilder, the better. Uh, yeah. And I, I do tune in, into that all the time. And that's what really inspired me to start doing some X stuff over here where the Weird Science Network has been lacking it. So until then... We'll see you next week with a couple of AXE issues. See ya.